Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's John, Bam Bam the Dog. Uh, first, on behalf of both of us and everybody from the Real Ones team, I just want to sincerely thank you guys for, for, for tuning in. The folks that I bring on the show, they're family to me, and uh, being able to tell their stories and bringing you into their world is something that I'm, I'm just super proud of and, uh, again, grateful that you guys tune in. We've decided we want to take things just a step further. We're going to introduce a Patreon community. And basically what that means is if you become part of this community, look, I already bored Bam Bam. If you want to become a part of this community, you're going to be able to hear episodes early and all that, ad-free and all that good stuff. But there's all this behind-the-scenes footage, all this stuff that we've shot um, that really brings you into the folks that we've had on the show, really brings you into their world. You're going to be able to do live chats with me and the folks that I bring on the show to talk about their world, talk about the issues that they're dealing with, about their triumphs and their tragedies. Just go to Patreon slash Real Ones. This whole idea was... Um, something about building bridges and, 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 and bringing people together and um, bringing folks that often don't get the mic and, and giving the mic to them. So the fact that you guys tune in means the world. Anyways, again, thank you. Uh, be good to each other out there. Rock and roll. I'm so grateful that you're allowing me to just talk. Come on, man. Uh, and I love what you did with this thing. I was watching all the, you know, because I'm fearful too. So I was watching all the interviews that you've done with Bo and Kevin and Man, there's just like a you you found a you found a gap. Not a whole lot of places a guy like me can come and talk my mm. truth, you know, or mm. Bo talk his truth and mm. sit down with another cop. I think is phenomenal with you. I'm mm. not just kissing your ass. I mm. think mm. I think this is really special. I like how small it is, also. Anyway, what do you got to say? You, I know you do your little intros. Got to be. Didn't got to be anything like that. I think. I think the first thing I want to say is from what you said as soon as you got out of that car. Yeah. Can you lead me in a prayer? Yeah, all about right, this, definitely. Let's about go. this conversation and what we're trying to achieve. First here? off, I'm prepared to go every which way. Let's go. Yeah, man. we. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I. I think that it's my duty now. Like I, when I think about what my life has become and what it is now, like what my purpose is now, you know, I, I, I need to be useful. And when I look at this Me Too environment, there's not a whole lot of dudes that are taking accountability. You know, I fucked up bad, bad, like crash and burn type shit. Hurt a lot of people. And um, and I'm fully aware of that. And I'm going to owe for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. And I also don't have that feeling about uh, the woman who's accused me all this shit like I did in the beginning. When it first landed, I thought, man, um, you know, there was thing I wanted to hit Twitter and be like, look, I got receipts. This, that, that, but this, but not that, but this, but not that. And the reality is uh, all of that shit is unimportant. The reality is that she saved my fucking life, dude. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I uh, she's like a like some kind of sage or like a, I don't know. She she's a, she's a um, a saint for me because had she not intervened in my life and not created the avenue for me to experience ego death, I'd either have a really mediocre existence or I'd be dead in full. And you know, I had no love in my life. I had no purpose in my life. My whole purpose, as you know, was just craft. Mm. It was just. I'm gonna be good at this thing, and that's all that I have. The mm. only thing I care about in life is being a good actor. Mm. And that's such a vapid, shallow existence. And three emotions that I toggled between, which was uh, I would feel um, anxiety, depression, and excitement. And I thought excitement was joy, and I thought lack of depression was serenity. Peace, yeah. And I had no spiritual life. I had a, a very I was bankrupt spiritually. I thought my whole my whole spirituality was this craft. Because other than smoking weed and drinking, the only spiritual experience I ever felt was on set. 
You know, that's the only time my perspective would shift and change. And it's the only time I ever felt useful. And so um, I'm on a spiritual growth path. I'm on a, a, an excavation. I'm picking it up, cleaning it up, putting it back. You know, I didn't just hurt that woman. The kind of shame my wife has to walk around with, you know, the, um, the, the pain that came to the, the people I was working with creatively even. I built this like, me and Bo built like something really special downtown and, uh, and all them kids, you know, I just failed a lot of people. And so when I say I'm going to owe, it's not just her. I owe a lot of people. And um, so the reason I wanted to do this and the reason why I felt like celestial mathematics when you hit me up was it's not a lot of places I can go talk, period, you know. And um, I guess old me would have looked at this like, oh, well, this is an opportunity for you to, like, speak your piece. But really, the only thing I want to do is, like, give dudes who fuck up hope. Absolutely. Yeah. What can, what, 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 what can this achieve? Who can this touch? Victim, perpetrator, someone lost, someone who's trying to be found. Yeah, all that. Who on that path, pain is an adhesive, bro. If you've been yeah. through it, yeah. you can connect to people, period, and yeah. the story. The first thing I just think, like, look, man, I haven't seen you in a long time, a long bro. Long time. And um, I want to talk about that. Yeah. The first thing I just need to ask you, man, yeah. is I need to ask you about your child. Yeah. I need to ask you about your baby, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, man, yeah. tell me about your baby. I mean, she's a, she is the most dynamic spark of life and most magical. Um, it's a game changer, dog. You know, like I, you would always talk about your kid, and I was like, yeah, well, I've had a dog, as though then like, <laughs> like as though these loves are like <laughs> anywhere near what you experience when you have a kid. But um, this was all tied in too. Like it came at, at a time when, you know, me and my girl been in love for a long time, but I didn't really know it. You know, I didn't really know what love was till all this shit hit the fan, and she was still around. I thought she was in love with me because of what I could offer. I didn't know that when I had shit, jack all, fuck all, nothing to offer, she would still love me. So I didn't, I didn't really know what love was, right? That's one. And out of this like newfound discovery of real love in my life, this kid, you know, and uh, it, um, I'm not gonna pretend like I, like I done figured it all out. It's yeah. such a mystery, you know? I, and what, I toggled. What scares you? What, what scares, scares you? me is like, enough, nobody tells you about the first three weeks. You know, the first three weeks, man, I remember changing the diaper. Yeah. You know, I, I've, been, I've been hanging out with monks for nine months and I came out of monastery and I'm, you know, I've been in rehab for three months and I've been working, you know, I've been outside for a while. And so I thought I had like things dialed in, like I could press the pause button. But when you're changing a diaper and you change it and then you put it back on, she shits again. <laughs> and then you change it again. And she shits again. And it's three in the morning. You ain't slept for four days. And you're on the third, it's the third iteration of shit. And you're sitting there at the table. And you change it one more time. And you say to yourself, if you shit one more time, I'm going to jump out the fucking window. Like I'm done. Right? And you're looking at your kid and you're just thinking, how? How am I going to get through this? And you, you put the, the fourth diaper on and she doesn't shit. It feels like a miracle. <laughs> it feels like God is hugging you. Like, I got you, bro. So I, I, I don't know if I'm infusing a bunch of stuff, but mm. there's some kind of incredible genius in my child. But she's testing me and she's mm. forcing me. She's forcing me to give up on me. Yeah, that's right. Which is what way I need. Way more important. Yeah, I mean, way bigger. obviously way more important. But it also feels like some kind of weird reset button. For sure. Like, I know that I'm never going to be the dude I was in front of this this woman, you know? And I know that I'm never going to treat my wife the way that I treated her around this woman. It's almost like having the ultimate parole officer. 
Yeah. It's like the ultimate probation officer. I've never looked down on having a probation officer. I need somebody to keep me accountable. Because mm -hmm. freedom without guidelines and limitations is fucking madness. Mm -hmm. You know, if I strip you naked and throw you in the ocean, you'll be free, but you won't enjoy it. You know, I need, I need like, I need guidance. Mm -hmm. And my kid is serving as some kind of ultimate, like, um, like. North Star? Yeah. And, for sure north star but more than that she's she, first of all my kid is so fucking joyful like she's just always i've been around doctors and maybe all doctors say this but like i've been around doctors saying like this is the most joyful kid i've ever been around right, right. you know she's raised in complete love and my wife is such a good mother she's a part of a new purpose that i that i didn't have you know i was living for myself and when you're holding a baby like baby don't care about none of your shit you know like what do, what do you think being a good dad is? What 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 are you gonna bring to the table? I'm honest. Yep. I'm loyal. Uh I'm willing. I'm uh, open. Mm -hmm. Curious. Super curious. And uh, uh I'm I'm uh I'm learning how to how to be a man of principles. Give voice to what you're scared of and what you're worried about about being a dad and and, 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 and what you think uh, you know you need to focus on and what you're worried about with your relationship with her for the future. I'm not worried about much anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't live in fear. Mm -hmm. I don't have a bunch of worry like that. What do you need to work on? Yeah, there's a lot I need to work on. First off, just in terms of having a daughter and knowing a, your daughter is one day going to search your name in a search engine mm -hmm. and see that, you know, you are a deplorable, disgusting uh, piece of shit. And that shit hits, you know? And so I, I, have, I have from now until she's uh, literate to create a relationship with her where she knows me more than this, this idea who I am in the public, you know? When that hits, like you, like you said, because it's funny, man. I, I, I just went through something like that with my kids, because my kids can fucking read now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, what, what, what's there, man? Do you, do you see an opportunity in that? Yeah. What is it? I'm, I, I picture for myself a Christmas with a bunch of people I'd unhelped. There you go. That's what I envision for myself. It's not, you know, I, I used to judge my worth by the films and stuff, and like I think about my Christmases during that whole path it was mm -hmm. just so fucking solitary and lonely mm -hmm. or it'd be like this new girl and that girl. i mean it was always like some f like very um in intangible vapid vapid no yeah. intrinsic value nobody that could like i imagine that there's dudes i'm working with now that i got 597 days of, of this program i'm in and um i got monks at my house you know i look around sometimes at my house even now and i think what yeah like how, you yeah. know, how did this happen? Yeah. And um, I think it's the relationships. I think my daughter will be able to, when it does come time for her to be able to assess who her father is, she'll see a man who failed, yeah. was a sinner, was honest about it, That's it, took accountability for it, and then made course corrections, That's it. changed and then gave his life to something bigger than himself and found solace in uh, a program of principles, service, love, you know, that's, that's where I'm aiming at. So I think it'll be a Christmas one day where she just wakes up and goes, damn, dad's got a lot of friends. Who are these people? And my mommy will say like, you know, dad had a hand to play in like these people finding the same thing he found. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I'm hoping for, you know? Not if, but when she falls, because everybody does, man. Sure. 
you're going to be able to talk about it with her and you're going to be able to be there with her. The reason I've always connected to you is because, you know, you have depth and weight because you done fell on your fucking face, you know, Definitely. and then got back up and kept it moving. And, you know, this is people who haven't gone through that. They don't have depth and weight to the, the message that they have to share. They mm -hmm. can tell you all about what to do and how you're supposed to do it. But very few people have the life experience. And this child is a big part of that. You know, there's a lot of miracles that have taken place in my life just in this short period of time that, that, that takes me out of this belief phase into like, oh, I can touch it. Solid. Yeah, it's, this feels very real. So, you know? And I, I played with faith. You know, when we did Fury, I was toiling with faith, mm -hmm. but it was all like the purpose was performative. What was your, it was, it's about intentionality. Right. Right, to be good in a movie. Right. Not to save yourself or save somebody else. And when I fucked daughter. up in the past, it's like, you know, you get a call from Brad Pitt, what fuck up? You know, there yeah. wasn't no calls this time. Yeah. Yeah. My mother didn't talk to me this yeah. time, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. nobody, all yeah. my, all my friends became acquaintances. The antithesis of being a friend is walking away. I am not going to walk away. Like mm -hmm. I am always going to love you. I am always going to support you. Mm -hmm. That being said, the things that, you know, this person said, like, I can't, I can't fuck with that. For and sure. like, and like what you said, you were right, man. Like I, I fucking hurt people in my life, you mm -hmm. know, like I know what that is. I know what it's like to be in that Valley. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to be left behind. Um, I don't know what it's like, you know, to put my hands on a woman or for a woman to say, I put my hands on her. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something I, you, you know, like, but no matter what the, the case is, my job as your friend is to in whatever way you allow me to or you allow me to be a prop, part of that process is to make sure one you never do it again mm -hmm. make sure two that 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 you're in a healthy process and, and, and number three that i'm a support system for why you're going through that mm -hmm. um so i guess my question with that is man is like where i mean you answered it a little bit but where are you and what do you what for for people who support you and love you mm -hmm. like what do you want to say to them yeah, I mean, I got amends to make. I got a long list of people that I need to make amends to. And so um, what I want to say to those people is, I, I one, I get it. You know, it doesn't seem, you know, when it first hit, it was like, you know, I wanted to air it out and talk about specifics. And like, none of it really matters. You know, I, I hurt that woman, you know, and in the process of doing that, I hurt many other people and many other people before that woman. You know, I was living my life, um, I was a pleasure-seeking, selfish, self-centered, dishonest, uh, uh, inconsiderate, fearful human being. And I was operating on a, on a survival instinct. I wasn't operating as a friend. I, I didn't actually, all my loves and friendships were transactional. You know, I fucked with you because we worked together and I experienced great pleasure in that working situation. You know, uh, when I look back at the friendships who, people who, who dipped or don't talk to me, these were also part of the same kind of transactional relationships. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually understand what love was. You know, I didn't know what friendship was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to do a pity party thing. I was raised very specifically mm -hmm. in, in, in my father would tell me stuff like, you know, your life is your life, son. You know, if you want to have a good life, you got to work real hard. You got to get into a good school. You got to get a good job. That'll lead to a good relationship. You have a kid and you put that kid in a good school. And, you know, it's all up to you. And so that kind of. It forced me into a position in my life where I was God. I was the person who was making shit happen. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was using people like. Like, like I was um, in a laboratory measuring shit and like um, quite controlling, 
I mean, you know how I am on set too. Mm -hmm. You know, the way I was operating on set was the actor is the poet, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like you're in a solitary, you're on your own like mm -hmm. journey. Mm -hmm. That's a bunch of nonsense, but this is what I was living in. This is the mm -hmm. shit I came up with, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the actors that I looked up to, the, the art that I was inspired by, uh, they moved like the actor is the poet. I was moving like in my life like I was that way. Right. That does something to the way you operate in the world. Yeah. Some people are attracted to it because that confidence is attractive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it feels comforting to be around somebody who, who you think knows something. Mm -hmm. uh, it's attractive, it, it calms my own insecurity to be around a, a person who, who is fully acquainted and uh, acclimated to their craft or their mission in life. When somebody's really confident in something, it's nice to be around that energy because it feels like guidance, it feels like you can lean on it. Yeah, they got to figure it out. They got to figure it out, right? So I get why why I'm, I'm I empathize with why my way of doing shit was attractive then, mm -hmm. and I remember who you were on that set. Mm -hmm. I remember how fearful, how deeply insecure, you know, and sure. and the way that you were moving on that show specifically, for sure. and the the yearnings for David to hit you with certain compliments and shit, like, you know, you needed validation. Mm -hmm. From him, for sure. From us, mm -hmm. from Kevin, mm -hmm. more so from Kevin, mm -hmm. you know, oh, and like the military dudes, sure. you constantly needed them to co-sign all your shit all the time, and mm -hmm. I, I empathize with that, but that's not who I was. I was not that way in life. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that I felt about craft and life in general was, I don't give a fuck what you think, you know. I don't care what you think about me. I had come from an environment with very little. Um, cheerleading going on and so I created a sort of um, survival instinct right. where I would cut people out you know and, and minimize opinions and the way that I would do that is I had to I had to believe that my opinion was greater than everybody else's opinion around mm -hmm. me I remember, I remember talking shit to Spielberg mm -hmm. I mean there was no director who ever directed me you know and, and I used to be proud of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is what I mean, like my, the, the things that I looked up to and romanticized was I came up on a certain kind of music, a certain kind of culture, boss shit, you know, the guys I looked up to were not asking you what you thought. Mm -hmm. I thought it was something, there was something sexy and punk rock about like these islands, mm -hmm. these men who were islands. Untouchable. Yeah. Is that possible? Is it possible to be that? It's nonsense. Yeah. It's just not real. This, this, the, it's, um, it's fiction. It's not a real well, it's thing. A, it's a blanket, right? I mean, it's armor. I listen to Mickey Rourke interviews, and I think, damn, bro, that's a sad boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You scared man. Mm -hmm. You're so fucking scared, mm -hmm. you know? And there's a lot of this tough guy armor shit, mm -hmm. and I get it. Mm -hmm. you know? And I love Mickey Rourke. Mm -hmm. You know, I, he gives me hope. Mm -hmm. When you see a dude go for 12 years, no craft, and then come out and, and do the wrestler. wrestler yeah. A guy like me who's in my position looks up to shit okay. like that. It gives me hope. It makes yeah. me feel inspired. Like, all right, if I'm patient for 12 years, maybe one day. Guys like me in my position need stories like that. And simultaneously, I listen to his interviews and I go, there's no uh, evolution here. There's no, you're still shitting on Tom Cruise, bro. Right. Like, right. why? Right. And it's insecurity. Right. You know, and I was that way. I was so competitive. My acting wasn't collaborative. It was competitive. Mm -hmm. It was a sport. Mm -hmm. And my life was this way. Mm -hmm. And this is what created the insecurity and the jealousy that put hands on this woman. Mm -hmm. the, the man that was involved in that relationship was co constantly comparing himself to other people. Mm -hmm. 
and I was a dishonest person in that I was wearing this mask. You know, I, I've gotten cold sores my whole life. Got them from my mother. I get two cold sores a year when I'm stressed out or I'm sick. I never told any of my sexual partners about getting cold sores. Never. And that's something, when you talk about like, how do you, what, you know, how do you, how do you talk to these people who you done fucked over? Like there's certain shit you can't clean up. Yeah. You know, you can't make amends for permanent damage like that, you know? And so my daughter now has become this opportunity for yeah, me, yeah. you know, and every woman in my purview has become an opportunity for yeah. me to be like a stand-up dude. Yeah. I used to open doors for women. Yeah, I, I used that. to, you know, I was a good dude that way, yeah. but it was almost performative. It yeah. was almost like, I'll do this good thing so you can think I'm a good mm -hmm. dude. Mm -hmm. But like in my own private life, when the mm -hmm. doors were closed, mm -hmm. I never told any woman I had cold sores, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's, that's, deplorable behavior mm -hmm. you know when a woman would like me it felt like so fucking foreign that i didn't want to fuck it up and i always thought that a woman being into me was tied to this business so like i think about why the business and the, the industry was so important for me and it really has almost little very little to do with the craft itself and the spiritual nature of what the craft can be for a great swath of time it had to do with this is how i how i define myself this is where i build my ego mm -hmm. so that i can go in and pursue these the these these things that will um these feelings that will absolve me from the very real feeling that is continual loneliness and the feeling of being not enough yeah. and the feeling of constantly comparing yourself to other people and what that does in a relationship is it makes you it makes you controlling and fearful and manipulative to not tell somebody you get cold sores twice a year is, is the is a heinous manipulation you know um but i never came up with a dude who was like hey this is how you navigate that right, situation right, right, right. nobody right. hit me to game like right. hey bro you know if you're really in love you yeah. can have open conversations about uncomfortable yeah, shit right. and really get to like another kind of connection you don't even know about or if somebody was trying to tell you you weren't in a place to to, to receive it anyways i mean maybe somebody's right yeah, yeah i wasn't you know? and and i i get look you you, you said whether it was through, you know, drinking or whatever the fuck it was that you, you, you hurt people that are, are close to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that really that really resonated with me, man. And and, and I'm just wondering, um, I mean, people who who put their whole shit on the line to like bring me back from the fire. Mm -hmm. You know, Alma Harrell is a great example of mm -hmm. a person who she took a gamble on me. You know, I was in rehab when we started having a conversation. I got arrested in Georgia for fighting with a cop, wound up in rehab, and uh didn't hear a damn thing about God, spirituality, personal growth, accountability. My whole, as soon as I got to rehab was, let me get back to this hustle. Mm -hmm. So I started writing a script in rehab. That's how fucking mad I was. I wasn't listening to no therapy. I had been therapized my whole life that it felt like you want me to focus on the problem? Well, how am I gonna like, how am I gonna hack this mm -hmm. focusing on the mm -hmm. problem thing? Mm -hmm. And how am I gonna find my way back to this fucking hustle so I can get back to my ego? Mm -hmm. Cause really all I cared about was my ego. I didn't give a fuck about getting well. Yeah. You know, it was all about get well for you. Yeah. Get well for the camera, get yeah. well. And so, you know, Honey Boy was born in this kind of toxic milieu of false recovery, uh, false recovery, masked as some kind of like uplifted product uh um and she was in on it because she thought that it was i mean i don't know what her motivations were but it felt like she was she was doing kind of what you're doing here 
when the conversation first started with Alma, it was like, man, we got to get to the root of what the fuck is going on here. You know, something wrong with you. You know, let's get well. It was out of love. It was out, out of, of love. love. Like y'all fucked with each other. You made stuff together. I love you. What yeah. can we do? It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't. Let's build a product. It wasn't <laughs> fetishizing product when we first. She didn't. It wasn't like I was in an environment. Yeah, let's go get an like, Academy yeah. Award. Yeah. yeah let yeah, me yeah, let me go yeah. hit you up for a script yeah. idea. It yeah, wasn't yeah. that. <laughs> she hit me up like, hey, I'm in the same. I'm I'm living a principled life. Also, maybe you should get you know get get involved in this thing. And immediately I was on a, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, here's a fucking 60 page monologue I wrote about my dad while I was doing this fourth step, you know, and right away it was almost like I manipulated her into mm, directing mm, this movie. Mm. And then I put me in a, in a situation where I was even sicker because then self will is run riot in full because now I'm at Sundance. We just done one Sundance and I'm like thinking that I can like that I'm the ultimate um manipulative master and i was and i was telling other people who would come to me after seeing that movie asking me about how to help and i would tell them well you just got to paint with your pain mm. you know and all this fucking nonsense mm. it just wasn't mm. i had no spiritual life mm -hmm. none the I, fact that the, the fact that your spiritual life at that point was bankrupt and the fact that that, that that came out of a transactional uh less than weak part of you if that's if that's what you're saying here, yeah is it still possible that through the art that you made that that it inspired people or helped people? It's it still could have. Oh, I know it has. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. Uh, and, and I don't think, and I don't want to get too um, spiritual, uh, too uh, too much God talking here because I know that it landed like on deaf ears when I wasn't ready. But yep. God uses people in in many ways, and I've interacted with people, and Alma has interacted with people who that movie has has had a, a hand in helping them find their way back to the route. Yep. You know, and. Yep. And um, that's very fulfilling. Yep. So I, I can't deny that 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 craft and art is a huge instigator in people. You know, when you think about Catholicism in full, you know, beauty is a huge part of the religion. That's right. Art has a huge uh, hand Music, in pain, evangelizing people Absolutely. and bringing them to God. And Absolutely. so. But there's also been some real toxicity and some morally bankrupt things that use that art in order to draw people in for own personal gain and for weak parts of those people. Which is where I was. I, and, and I think, man, you know, it's you know, when I think about you, you have this ability um, to inspire and to galvanize and ignite people. You can make people feel um, enormously strong and powerful and 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 joyous. I've also seen you completely uh, humiliate people yeah i've seen you um completely destroy the joy and you, in you know in an environment yeah. you know and that's and 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 i think these things they're, they're cousins man like you cannot have one without the other and it is a constant i think it is a constant work it is a constant mission if you're going to try to if you're going to try to walk the path where you're trying to live for positivity you're trying to bring people up because that doesn't go away that shit will never ever go away for and sure. it's constant work yeah and and the thing that i was tripping out on is like, is you saying how you hurt people close to you that that's also i i i you know we've talked about it i definitely understand what it's like to hurt people i've hurt people i've hurt people in ways i have i, I i'm disgusted with myself for what i've done yeah um, I, I haven't heard people that, that, that are close to me. I can't imagine what that's like. And I want to know, first, I guess I, I, I want to know, how does that feel? Do you know that you're doing that while you're doing it? And what is the realization? Like, what, what, is the real, what does that feel like to, to know you've done that or to know you're doing that? Yeah, I mean, uh, so there's, there's, there's two 
uh, perspectives on it. There's where I am now and who I was then. Yeah. And I've had to do a lot of inventory on what was motivating this perspective. Yep. I come from like, and this isn't a boohoo shit either, but I know abandonment. Mm-hmm. I know like deuces. And I uh, would test relationships and as a way of like finding finding a barometer i'd also like i would hurt people just out of straight selfishness no like there's no intellectual facet to it just the fact that you know uh the fact that i cheated on every woman i'd ever been with you know uh the fact that that directors who put me on who took me from nothing and put me on i eviscerated in public life even on set when i would sense weakness in another person on the other side of a scene I would lean in. Mm. I wouldn't try to uplift nobody. I would try to lean in. And it was this constant trying to define myself in the world. It has it has to do with not feeling enough. You know, all 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 of this comes from fear. Mm-hmm. Just when I have no I didn't understand masculinity in full, mm-hmm. you know. Um what I know masculinity to be now is stability. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't really have stability if you're running shit. Mm-hmm. Cuz if you're just a dude like you're, you know how infinitesimally fucking small we, we don't even know how deep Lake Michigan is right, you know right, like right. what are you really running right. you're running nothing right. and so this idea that if you're if you're like uh, if you're boss in your life you're always going to be in in an, in a tremendous amount of fear mm-hmm. and that in fear, denial right in denial it's just not to. real yeah, yeah you have to yeah, you have you have to deny anybody else's God you have to deny God in full and you have to you know, you fall into this like Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens hole where you're trying to intel- intellectualize everything yeah. and rationalize everything. You're fragile, dude. We're all fragile. We're all, yeah, but yeah. then you then you get caught up with like, you know, I, I, I hung out with like philosophers and shit. You know, I would backstop all my shit with like these philosophies mm-hmm. and like fucking words, you know, mm-hmm. pull, play these word spells on people and uh, was using like performance art to like create this uh you know, running word spells, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. a bunch of fucking nonsense really mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Uh, that all had to do with the very with, with the same thing that hurt people. It was all about. I had my propulsion system was fucked. Mm-hmm. My motivations behind the way I was living my life was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to get a new propulsion system. I wasn't looking at life like how can I be useful to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking to be of service to nobody, even cl- including a director. I listen to Ethan Hawke sometimes. You know. Uh, do interviews about how he looks at the craft and he's always talking about like my job is just to be in service of the director and that's like foreign to me yeah you know i remember being in service to a director and getting fucked over i remember doing movies with certain dudes who like led me down a weird path and looking back at the project thinking like nah man i was right all along you were wrong and then i just i stopped listening to any kind of director you know and that innocent dude who came into the industry with all this wild wide-eyed wonderment that disappeared pretty quick and then it became like, uh, I got around some dudes who I saw work a very specific way, and I thought the answer to this is the answer to this um, having to rely on the infallible man that is the director mm-hmm. is you just don't listen to the director and you just do your own shit because mm-hmm. trust your instincts, buddy, because you're God. Mm-hmm. I remember calling my manager and saying, like, what do you mean? I'm God. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really where I was at because mm-hmm. I thought my craft was 
was God. I thought love, art, and God all meant the same thing to me. And and, and to somebody who's, who's because I, I understand you're looking at it from two different perspectives. It's where you're at now and where you were, where you were going yes. through it. So for yeah. somebody who may be going through that right now, or for somebody who, you know, maybe is close to somebody who is going through that, were there ever times of empathy? Were there ever times of realization? Were there ever times of shame when you're like, fuck, I just hurt that person? What would you say to that dude? I'll tell you like this. I remember being in Georgia when I was doing this movie with this kid, Zach. You were there for part of it. Yeah. And I remember getting arrested. Yeah. And I, I remember getting out of jail the next day. And I remember sitting down with Zach. And there were moments of like, like lucid articulation from this man. Mm -hmm. And this happened to be one of them. And he said, you know, this is my one shot. You make movies all the time. But this is my one shot. And you're ruining it for me. Mm -hmm. And to say that you don't feel that when it lands mm -hmm. is not true. Mm -hmm. I felt it deeply. But it's what you do with that feeling, you know? Do you change? Mm -hmm. And I didn't. You know, I, I would always like, I always had an inch left. I always had some fucking wiggle room. Mm -hmm. Every time I would fuck up, there was always some wiggle, there was always a Brad Pitt on the phone. There was always some like, you know, Sundance some award. Next project. There was always some Alma, next there was always another, there was always wiggle room to get back into ego. Mm -hmm. And this time, there wasn't no wiggle room. That's why I attribute this woman with saving my life, because she, she, she destroyed any route towards that wiggle. That's real. It is real. Rock fucking bottom. Rock bottom. Bottom isn't when you experience the worst moment of your life. Definitely bottom not. is when you change. That's right. It's when you actually, t it's when you touch it, when you smell it, when it's right on your face yeah. and you feel it. And it it's not about severity of what the thing nah, is. It's about, nah. it's it's about what you do with it once it, it happens. So like, once, once, once it happened, I mean, I, when it landed, I forgot how to breathe. You know, because the email, the subtext of the email was, your hustle's over, you know? Uh, and I forgot how to breathe. And I, the next thing I did after two minutes of sitting there, looking at, staring at a computer screen, was I went and loaded up a gun and sat at my table and was gonna kill myself. I was out of here. I didn't know what to do anymore. Like all my ideas had failed. And I sat there for two minutes thinking, where's the wiggle room? I'd already used what's every- What's my play? Yeah, what's the play? Uh, and there were no options. It was like, there was nowhere to go. It's not like I could go outside and get a Choco Taco and chill on the, you know, people driving down the street, rolling down the window, like fuck off and die. You know, this is where I was in the early days of this shit. So I didn't even want to leave my house. And I had a woman living in my house who wasn't my wife. And I was on my way to go do some movie I didn't give a fuck about, you know, just like momentum building kind of shit, you know, movies, no intrinsic value, just like I need something on the cards, you know, for this year, I need my two or three projects, one of these things. And, um, and I felt disconnected from all of it. And I wound up getting emails from certain dudes who, who like you, were still involved in my life, even when it got ugly, you know, when it got chunky. One of those dudes was Sean Penn. And Sean's like, you need to call Brolin. And I called Brolin and he told me he was going to this meeting online. Now the gun is loaded. Like I haven't left my sitting position, you know? And I wound up signing on to this meeting and I heard one of the dudes who was speaking that night say, uh, if you're new and you just entered, you know, you don't have everything you want right now, but you got everything you need right now. Wow. Now. Yeah. Now. 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 And he did that for like two minutes. And 
the first minute I'm thinking, you can't spend the whole rest of your share just snapping your fingers and saying now, like this shit is ludicrous. And I went into this judgment, which is what my alcoholism sounds like. It sounds like criticality. It sounds like judgment. And so I'm, I'm in my judgment. Like you better say, and a gun is right here. I'm like, you better say something that's really going to get me the fuck out of where I'm at. And after two minutes, like I, I felt like a giggle start to rise inside of me and I felt something like presence. I stopped thinking about the email, stopped thinking about my hustle. The gun almost disappeared and it was like, I'm sitting here on this, this, this Skype call and I'm present for the first time in my life. And I want to write in the dude in the chat box like, hey bro, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on the verge, you know, I, I'm about to kill myself. He's like, oh, okay, cool, call me tomorrow. Just like throw away. You know, and I needed that. I had been enabled for so long in my life that if it was going to be me walking into this program and having a bunch of dudes pat me on the back like, hey, man, welcome home. We're glad you're here. I'd have been out again because then it would have been more wiggle room. But the guy that I wound up running into was not having it. And he said, hey, man, uh, meet me on the beach tomorrow. And I wound up uh, up here at Tower 10. And he he said, "Uh, I need you to get on your knees. And I'm like, I'm not getting on my knees. He's like, cool, deuces. He started walking away. I'm thinking, oh, fuck. But it also reified this, like, you don't care. Like, you care, but not in that way. You know, you're not going to pat me on my back. And I said, okay, okay. I was I was so willing at this point because I was in so much fucking pain. And he said, get on your knees. And I get on my knees. He gets on his knees with me. So right away, it's no longer like this power play. We're like, like collaborating in this. And he says, I need you to stop the waves. And I'm like, ah, man, listen, this Dr. Quinn medicine woman version of this shit ain't going to work with me. You know, like I, I get how this goes. He's like, are you either going to write what happens or you're going to do a bunch of shit that you don't believe in so that your life changes? Because your issue is that you, you need to rationalize everything and you're out of options, son. Like what? If not this, what? And he was right. And so I started saying, you know, stop waves. And he's like louder, man stop waves and he got up off of his knees and he started walking away and I looked back and he's like nah keep going and he's like keep saying it again I say stop waves he's like louder bro they're all the way over there you're all the way over here stop them waves man and now I'm yelling and I'm having like an emotional it almost feels performative now now I'm like back in my bag back to like the manipulating hustling like wiggle room finding yeah watch this boom let me let me and then I'm crying and I'm stop waves you know like uh, I'm in the middle of like the the greatest monologue of my life on this beach you know yeah (laughs) exactly and uh and uh he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes you can stop all that which made me like giggle you know (laughs) I started giggling and then he stood up and he put his hand on my left shoulder and put his hand on my right shoulder and he said, welcome to AA. And uh, it did something to me that felt like, like, it felt like warrior shit. You know, I didn't know, it felt like, like, like man code, like G shit. It didn't feel like fluffy, cute shit, book reading, sitting in a, it felt like. You're on a mission. Yeah. It felt, it felt purposeful mm-hmm. and it felt sexy, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Sexy in the way that listening to Kevin Vance feels sexy mm-hmm. to a young man mm-hmm. who feels like a boy. Mm-hmm. It felt so rooted mm-hmm. and it wasn't emotional. It wasn't performative. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to manipulate me, but it was kind of hokey and like the knights, which knights in shining armor kind of hokiness that like made me feel like a little kid again. And he said, I need you to go home and clear out, like clear the decks. And I'm like, nah, man, like for me, and I don't know if you felt this way, but every woman was the one for me. There was never a two. If you liked me, you were the one. Yeah. Uh, and that had to do with my insecurity and my fear. Like I didn't have no, there was no two or three or I was just dating like like frivolously. It was always like this grand hair climbing up the 
super emotional, super uh, romantic, super uh, this fierce romance, you know, that I was searching for, desperate little boy shit. And he said, you got to clear the decks. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do that, man. You know, I, I, uh, I feel like she's the one. And he's like giggling to himself, you know. <laughs> this isn't my wife. My wife is not involved in my life at this point. Oh, yeah. And I got this one who's not the one who accused me of this shit. And she's just another person who's, who's been uh, trapped in my sphere of, uh, of influence. And she's living in my house. And he's like, uh, well, look, man, I'll I tell you what. You know, you can keep doing it your way or you can try some new shit. Because the way that you're living, it's fucked. You're fucked. You're fully fucked. You're doomed, is what he said. Doomed. You're doomed. That was the word. And um, I flipped to this page. He, he made me flip to this doctor's opinion we got in our book. And in the doctor's opinion, or how our book starts, it, it mentions the word doomed. And he's like, this isn't like another AA guy. This is a doctor telling you you're doomed if you don't figure this shit out. And uh, he goes, to put it in perspective, if you went to Kaiser Permanente right now, and they sat you down and put your, you know, x-rayed you and put your, your x-ray up on a light board. And you're looking at a picture of your clavicle. And the doctor said, hey, man, you see that, that gray spot just above your chest cavity? You're doomed. What would happen to you is your asshole would suck. You would fucking start sweating bullets. And you wouldn't be thinking about the job that you got to get to or the girl you got to hold on to or where you're going to go on the for Father's Day or what that you immediately your whole life would get very small and the only rational response to that kind of information is well what do I do and if I told you to staple a dog's dick to your fucking chin and walk up and down the street picking a cigarette buzz you would do it you wouldn't ask me why or whether you believe in it or nothing you go look for a dog you know <laughs> and so uh that made sense to me he puts me in a car he says I need you to listen to Sandy Beach tape now at this point in my life like I'm 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 like barely hanging on and I'm, I'm using this woman like drugs, you know? Every time I need validation, I'm having like, I'm with this woman and, and she becomes with the job, the mask of success that the job created for me, which kept me from like really looking at myself. She became that for me in the interim. And he's like, you gotta get rid of all of it, you know? There is no more work and no more romance for, for a year. You're gonna have to give me a year. And I'm thinking like, I'm not gonna be able to pull that off, you know? And right away, I'm half measuring. And this is my wiggle room. I, I can't. And uh, he says, I need you to download this tape, this Sandy Beach tape. Sandy Beach is a, a, a big speaker. Uh, uh, and in, in, this, in this... What was in, the speech? Yeah, the speech was he was talking about this, this Chinese farmer. And uh, this Chinese farmer and his son, they're picking radishes about the ground. And they don't own the land that they're farming off of. And uh, they're barely subsisting. They're giving 70% to the landowner. They're living off of 30% of these radishes. Their whole financial legacy is tied up into this workhorse. And one day, and the son is really working the land because the man is too old. And one day the workhorse runs up off the hill. He, he just fucks off. He's up the hill. And the son runs into the house and he shakes his dad up and he says, Dad, you're not going to believe this is a, this is a travesty. We're going to die out here. Uh, I can't get these radishes to grow unless I turn this land over and I can't move that hoe without the horse and the horse is gone. This is a nightmare. And the old man nonplus looks at his son. He goes, I don't know what this is, son. I don't know if it is a nightmare. I can't call it. And the son thinks his dad's out to lunch yeah. or like ambivalent or something's wrong or he's too old. And a couple days later, the kid is chilling on the porch and he sees the horse running down the hill with 50 wild stallions behind it. And they run into the paddock and he locks the paddock and he runs inside and he hits the daddy. He's like, man, this is fuck radishes. Like we're rich. You know, we're, we're in the horse business. We're in the horse trading business now. This is a miracle, dad. I'm gonna go tell everybody we're trading horses now. And the father looks at his son nonplussed again and says, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's a miracle. I can't call it. And a couple more days pass and 
The son's trying to break these horses down, domesticate these horses. He doesn't know anything about horses. He's a radish farmer. So uh, one of the horses ain't having it. And he rears up, kicks him in his leg. It's like 1400s China. There's no Kaiser Permanente. His shit is shattered. Yeah. They wrap him in some like tobacco leaves and some sprinkle some mint on it. Go sit in a chair for a while. And... Uh, and he's wailing, and the townspeople hear about it, and the townspeople run up on the little shack, and, oh, man, what are you going to do? You know, you can't domesticate these horses. You can't move this hoe. You guys are fully fucked. I don't know what you're going to do, but this is, this is pretty much the end, right? Like, this is a nightmare. And the old man says, I don't know what this is. He looks at his son's leg. He goes, I don't know what this is. I can't, I can't really call it. A uh, couple more days pass. He's sitting with his son. He's trying to calm him down. He's in the middle of pain, and they hear this thunderous noise, and they look up on the ridge line, and they see... 5,000 samurai on horseback running towards their little hut. And the commanding officer gets off his horse and says, give us your son. We're going to fight the Maoist army. And he looks at his son's leg and he looks back at the samurai army and he goes, I, I would, but he can't get out the chair. You know, he, he, he can't get on his, he, he can't. No, I can't. I would, but I can't. He's crippled. And the man gets back on his horse and 8,000 men ride off to their death. And I listen to this tape and and I, I, I'm driving back from the beach, back to where I'm living, and I get out of my car and her bags are packed. Mm. She's on her way out. Mm. And old me would have written a haiku poem in blood and ripped my shirt off Hulk Hogan style, ran down the street and jumped over the fence and th that guy, the yeah. climb the hair up the boom thing. Boombox in yeah, the air. Yeah, boombox in the air, guys. That's what I came up on. And something in me from having heard what I just heard what feels like this is this is now I can't get no lower. I hear this like I can't call it. And this it becomes like this the most diplomatic breakup I ever had in my life. And I say, what can I do? And she, and uh, can I get you a car? And she goes, no, don't worry about it. Go get well. And I go walk into my house and I call my dude up and I'm like, man, I think this shit is working like. Man, this is a miracle. Like, this is the most diplomatic thing I ever. And I'm in my meeting. I'm telling all the dudes, like, I think this program's really working in my life, man. And then I got five days sober, and they're like, bro, I think you're pink clouding. Why don't you go to another fucking meeting, Jack? And uh, and I go on to this other meeting. Now, the whole time I've been doing this for the first five days, I'm on the phone with a lawyer. Like, look, this is true, but this isn't true. And I got receipts for this, and I'm not going to do this. And bop, 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 I'm fighting, 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 tooth and nail. I'm on the phone with the agents, and the manager's like, listen, you got to believe me, and blah, 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 and doing that shit, right? And uh, my sponsor's telling me the whole time, he's like, look, you're going to have to let go, dog. Like, the wind's at your back. Just let go, you know? All this, like, fighting you fuck around, like, let go, man. That's childish. And... And I'm hearing him, but I'm not doing it. You know, I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone with him, and I'm hanging up the phone. And I'm fighting this thing, and I got a lawyer who's like, "You need to go to rehab for anger management, because when you go to court, no spot, no AA is gonna mean shit." You know, addicts had already juiced that route for so long that it don't mean nothing. We need clinical receipts that you're doing something right. And I'm like, I'm not going to rehab. That's like that's. I've always really like cultivated my brown bagger, right? Like, I don't like wearing new shoes. So this idea that I was going to pay all this money to go pet a horse and make a friendship bracelet, it felt like, man, this shit's like, that's not sexy. Mm -hmm. You know, I found AA for real. I'm really in my shit now. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go to this rehab. And Especially fighting, fighting, you don't want to go to it because somebody's saying that's going to get you off. It's all about the intentionality. You, you got to not stop. It's not about not saying the right thing because you're worried about getting in trouble. You say the right thing because you believe the fucking right thing. It's that and it's also, I'd already done this. Right. I'd already gone to rehab, wrote a script and played that game. Right, right, you know? right, right, and, right, right, right. Uh, and to focus. And, and, not the, and it didn't work. Man. It didn't work. It didn't work. To focus on like my childhood trauma right. isn't where my problem lies. My problem doesn't lie in what people did to me. What led you to a place with more wiggle room and now you don't have it? 
And so, and, and so, and I'm, I'm telling them, no, nah, I don't want to do this, you know, and I'm telling the lawyer, like, I don't want to do this. And look, yeah, this and this, and I'm fighting all this shit. And I sign on to this AA meeting. This is where I'm talking about, like, miraculous shit started to pop off in my life. And my, my dude sent me there because his mom was taking a chip for like 37 years. Mm -hmm. And the woman who took a chip right after his mother was the woman I lost my virginity to, who when I was 19 years old, I held a knife to her neck. And everything in that moment, it felt like I heard God's voice say, I'm everywhere. You can't run no more. And like my whole fucking, all my planning and like all this like, da, 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 just went gone. And um, that really happened, you know? And I remember it vividly. And I wrote her in the chat box like, did my dude tell you to come? Like, do you know this guy and this guy? She's like, nah, I'm in here because my people are getting chips, you know? But it's good to see you. I knew you were on your way here. You know, I, I hope you get it this time. And um, so I call my dude up and he's like, bro, you got to let go. You got to let go in full. And I wind up getting in my car and I drive up to Utah. And I'm in Utah for three months. And while I'm in Utah, it allows me, it gives me, they take my cell phone from me. And if they didn't take my cell phone from me, I was never going to be able to deal with what I needed to deal with. I had never known how to pray because I could never cultivate silence. I had no absence in my life. Every unforgiving minute was full of some fucking scroll or some more like ego feed, mm -hmm. constant, nonstop rotation of this, this ego thing and that ego thing and ba 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 ba, just constant fulfillment of like my own personal desires. And they took my phone from me. And just for that reason alone, I would, I would urge anybody to go this route if you're in a situation like mine, just to get the fucking phone out of your pocket. And what that gave me was time to like really assess what had been my operating systems. What had been like the motivational force in my life, which was always me. It was always ego. It was even always the smallest decision, the smallest decision to even go into everything, food, to everything, everything, you eat, everything, every, everything yeah, was yeah, ego. Yeah. Everything was ego. I, I would eat that not because it tasted good, but because it would do this or do that, you know? And um, so I was there for, for, for 90 days. And in that 90 days, I, I, uh, I made a list of all these people that I hurt. And, and um, I mean, a bunch of shit happened, but. Uh, I came out and um, just hit the ground running, trying to make amends, trying to right these wrongs. And this is also still a part of that. There's some people who don't want to talk to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I understand that. And so my purpose now is to be patient. Is there an example that you can think of that you're, I don't know if the right word is proud, but if you feel good about sort of where you guys got to, or you feel good about the process in terms of making amends or, or and there's growth. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah. See, I didn't even know what amends meant, just like I didn't know what prayer was, but, um, and let me, let me, let me find my way to what you just said. Okay. But like, um, part of what happened to me up there was, uh, I, I would get quiet and I start hearing like, like loving thoughts for people that on paper were like villainous characters in my life. So I would get quiet and I was, you know, the first 20 thoughts is like, you got to do this, you got to do that, go here, go there, go get this, got that, 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 that. And then there'd be like the 30th thought that's like, hit your dad up, tell him you love him. Mm -hmm. Now, me and my dad weren't talking, you know, and, um, and, and this is how my prayer life works now. It's like I get quiet, I hear loving thoughts, and then when I act on these loving thoughts, miraculous shit happens in my life, you know. I wind up in service or, uh, and, and then I feel peace, but also like I get all these like incredible, like with my dad. I want to hit my dad up. Now, here's a man who I, I done vilified on a grand scale. I put all this shit in the street, you know? 
and used him. Juiced my dad is like, this is the reason I'm fucking foul out here. You know, I am come from this wayward upbringing. And, you know, my dad is the reason I'm such a fuck up. You know, he's a, a biker and a wild man and a criminal and a da-da-da and abusive. And, and, I, and I wrote this narrative, which was just fucking nonsense. My dad was so loving to me my whole life. Fracture, sure. Crooked, sure. Like, wonky for sure. But never was not loving. Never was not there. He was always there. He was always there. And I done done a world press tour about how fucked he was as a man. Honey Boy is basically like a big woe is me story about how fucked my father is. And I wronged him. And... I remember getting on the phone with him and him, him being like, you know, I never read this stuff in the script you sent, you know, because <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't put that shit in there, you know. And I was, I was bullshitting him. I was, you know, just trying to get him to sign this fucking piece of paper. Mm. He thought I was going to tell the story like Braveheart, you know. I was going to, and I didn't, I didn't, you know. I told the story like this, this, uh, this dude who, and I, and I turned the knob up on certain shit that wasn't real. My dad never hit me. Never. He spanked me once, one time. And the story that gets painted in Honey Boy is like, this dude was like abusing his kid all the time. You know, my dad tried to keep me from smoking cigarettes. That's when he spanked me. He found me smoking cigarettes in the shower. He pulled me out, he spanked me. That's when he spanked me. But that wasn't my narrative because it didn't position me as like this wounded, fractured child that you could root for, which is what I was using him for. And so when I got on the phone with him, I, you know, I, I, uh, I took accountability for all that. And knew very clearly that I couldn't take it back. You know, my dad was going to live with this certain narrative about him on a public scale for a very long time. You know, probably for the rest of his life. And I didn't put all this shit in the street, yeah. you know. Uh, the shit that my dad got arrested for happened like 30 years ago. And I brought it all back to the surface, you know. And, um, and, I, and I, I, I told him, you know, what I was doing. And it went just like, you know, hey, man, I'm, I'm in this program. I'm learning to be a decent man one day at a time. Uh, I know I done fucked you over over here. You know, I done put your shit in the street and I know I made it harder for you to move around in the world. And, and, uh, I defined you as like this villainous character when really you were like a, an amazing dude for me in my life. And like, you know, I really look up to you and, and the way that you've moved through your failings and the father that you've been to me, you've been a great man to me. And, uh, um, if there's ever anything I can do, be it blood, counsel, money, whatever, if there's ever anything I can do to make your life better in any way, please don't hesitate to let me know. And um, my dad was living in Costa Rica on his fucking cocaine farm at the time, you know, and uh, living with a bunch of Nicaraguans. And like, he said, I want to come home. And um, so I, I got him back. And uh, when I, my, my dad was, like me, I was a big pothead. And so here I am with like, I got like 10 months of sobriety. I'm, I'm about to go pick my dad up. I'm in a weed shop buying like 500 bucks worth of weed for my dad and uh, sober. And I get it in the bag and, and, uh, and I show up at the, the airport and my dad gets out and I see my dad in a wheelchair. He's got COPD, dude could barely breathe. And I wheel his ass over to the truck and I put him in the truck and I give him a joint. He sparks up and he's coughing like he's got blood and mucus coming out. He's, he looks like he looks like totally broken, you know, and um, little by little, I start bringing him back to health. You know, he's got eye problems. We fix the eye problems. He found out he's pre-diabetic. We go. He hadn't been to a doctor in like 10 years. You know, and we get to the doctor. Doctor's like, if you smoke anything, you're going to die. You got like. 10% lung capacity. If you smoke anything or even around incense, you might die. And um, 
my dad in the doctor's office looks at me and goes, I think I want to get sober. In the doctor's office, he looks at me, he goes, I think I got, I think I want to get sober. So I bring him into my fold. I bring him into the group. Wow. He starts going all this shit with me. We just, we get, get on it together. That's probably like the crowning achievement any amends that I made. My dad's got, he's got five and a half months now, you mm -hmm. know, and he's working with other dudes and like you carry the message that way. Uh, you know, for my wife, I'll be making amends for the rest of my life. You know, it's every day, you know, doing dishes is part of that amends I got to make, you know. Um, that's going to be a lifelong journey. A lot of these amends are going to be lifelong journeys. There's amends that people don't want to talk to me. You know, I got to make a living amends. I got to I got to find another way to be a service to the world in a way that takes all that energy and creates something uh, valuable, uh, something valuable for another person. Um, I mean, I got amends, you know, that that girl who was on that meeting, you know, I, I reached out to her. She was in the in the program, so she she kind of knew what I was what was going on, and that that amends was made. Me and Alma had sort of made some. We bridged the gap there. We're not like talking every day, but there's there's been a we. I'm, I'm making contact, communication, little by little. You know, it's only been 597 days. I'm still at the beginning of this whole journey in my life, which is going to be for the rest of my life, and. Um, and yeah, I go to every single person out unharmed and I try to figure out where I can be of service to their life in any way that's, that's possible. And um, yeah, sometimes it'll be like these, these, these really neon versions of it, like with my dad. And then sometimes it'll be, you know, uh, Vanessa Kirby, right? Like Vanessa Kirby was on her way to go get an Oscar when all she this did. shit landed, you know? And um She'd been supportive to me this whole time, but I remember she had to answer for me out there because I wasn't communicating. I wasn't like, because uh, I didn't have nothing to communicate. I was still like, you know, like this little uh, myopic litigator. My, my dude kept saying, don't say nothing. Just shut the fuck up and start working, you know? And so I wasn't out there talking, but she was in the middle of promoting a movie. And she had this whole Oscar campaign that was set up for her, you know? And for the movie and the casting whole and my damage fucked those chances up. Because as you know, this is a very political thing. It's not about the quality of the material. It becomes like this positioning, political, and like to be attached to this heretic wasn't sexy. And so it fucked up her opportunities. And so like making amends there was, you know, how do you rewind that? You don't, you know? Uh, and though she never asked me to like, to do anything, you know, I reached out and she, and we, and we put it to bed as best as we could, you know, um, but that's another person who was always, she always showed up. She was always in my corner, even when it wasn't sexy. It's like my wife. It's like, it's not sexy to be married and have a kid with a dude who's like this public, uh, abuser of women, you know, I, I, sometimes I, 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 you know, I, I'll go look up, uh, I'll go look up like the, the response to my woman's film, you know, she had a movie came out not recently and like, there'll be comments like, you know, I don't fuck with this woman because she fucks with him. You know, that that's heavy. You know, that my wife is like, how does that make you feel? Terrible, dog. Yeah. Yeah. Explain terrible. Like what? Terrible, like, like you converge into the kind of shame that makes you unproductive. Mm -hmm. Like you can make yourself. Is that unfair? Uh, no, it's not unfair. You don't think? No, it's not unfair. The, the it's not even about fair. fair enough, you know what I mean? It's not even about fair. Like fair don't really exist. You want fair, go to Pomona. But there's no fair in this life. So when I think about like the emotions are real. Yeah. My accountability doesn't take away the very real that comment. 
that somebody feels that way towards my wife and that uh, looks at her like she's somehow less than because she's still in my corner and that we share this bond. You know, that doesn't feel good to be that that kind of influence on somebody's life. Uh, but equally, for me to put too much value into another person's opinion is to fuck myself. It's to fuck my marriage. It's to put me in the shame spiral that doesn't do the dishes no more. Now I'm just in like my own little haiku room, yeah. you know, just like spiraling into my little woe is me shit again. Right. And, and I've been there and I done done that, you know. And so my job isn't to feel right. Mm -hmm. my, my, my purpose in life isn't to be happy no more. That's what my purpose used to be, which is such a shitty aim in life. Mm -hmm. My aim in life in totality, my whole purpose for existing in life was to be happy. Mm -hmm. And that's and now, not that's not my purpose anymore. And now, yeah, my purpose now is to be useful. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't make me useful to my wife to shame spiral on some shit like that. It makes me useful to my wife to show up for my wife and be stable for my wife when we take our kid to the children's hospital and she's tripping. And I happen to have a relationship with God that centers me at this point where I can be in a sit environment like that and be able to hold it down in that environment. So that's what my amends looks like today. When my wife is tripping and she looks at me like, what's gonna happen? Cause my, my, my three month old baby has a, a, has, a, has a bump on her head that feels like something scary, you know? And, and we know now it wasn't, it was called a, a hemogenoma, mm -hmm. which is really scary when you first catch that. You know, you feel like, oh man, this is, and my wife was, tripping and had this not all happened I wouldn't have been able to show up for my wife and be stable in that environment and be able to look at her and really know what I was saying when I said God loves us you know we're he's cheating in our favor That's right. be that radish farmer's dad exactly exactly if, if, you know man I, I found you know there's been so much resistance in my life just like that I've touched personally people know about my connection to having you come on and do this yeah motherfuckers being like are you out of your mind yeah, you need to sure. run from that dude sure. and it's like it's just something that I've never really be able to but a, but, but a funny little anecdote cool. uh, you know the last time you came up you know we had such a wonderful time we we, we kicked it we kicked it with the, like the kids still you know they still do you know the, the 5150 test that you taught them oh, yeah. about the about the picture and the box yeah, and all yeah. they do it to everybody who walks in the house like the little tricks the little fucking side clown tricks you taught my yeah, kids yeah. They, they do it to everyone like yeah, my yeah. little man like they still you, you're, you're like a pie pie like uh, this huge presence in my kids lives and that's your ability to touch you know what I'm saying uh, and we spent that day in Ojai you know, my agents all called me, uh, I, I think either right before that, right after that. And, and we're just like, you know, couldn't we just have Shia's number? You know, we just feel like we could represent him, you know, like this third, like they would have literally sucked the shit out of your ass. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, please, you know, we just want to, you know, they was just so thirsty. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You know, then this stuff went down. And some months later, you know, I got to know Bo and I got to connect with Bo and we decided to put this thing on, you know, at Slauson and, and, and it was this beautiful event. And these same very guys were like, you know, if Shia comes, we can't be there and the casting directors that you're bringing to come see. And this is, uh, I mean, for whatever it's worth, there's, there's no one in active members of a of a criminal gang in the in the piece <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you've been accused of something and and they they're no longer cut those people that were the and and to me the hypocrisy of 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 where we're at in discourse in this country period but especially in this industry it, it just was mind-blowing to me and, and 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 on one side when we can have convicted murderers on this show who by by the way i mean they've they've done the crime and they've done the time yeah, yeah. And that work yeah, has yeah. been done yeah but that's something that's celebrated 
But then when I want to have you on this same industry that you've given so much to in the same industry, you know, they, they, they can't touch you. And does that hurt? Are you, can you divorce yourself? Cause, cause, cause that's not, I, I don't imagine you're, 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 you care about what those people think. No. Right. Right. No. So, so how do you, how do you decipher the not? Cause I'm sure what you were saying, it really hit me, man, that you're driving down the street, people rolling down their window. Yeah. I mean, you've been public for so long, man. Yeah. And I think you've been dealing with whatever the fuck scan. Like, I, you know, like, look, I know what it's like to walk in a room and everybody knows. Like, I, I understand that now that everybody knows who the fuck you are. Mm. You walk into a room and it's like, do they know you th for your art? Do they know you for your scandal? Does it matter? Like, like, how do you, because that shit doesn't matter, but it does affect us. It is like you're a human being. Mm -hmm. Like, can you divorce yourself from the nonsense easily? It makes me useful. Tell me. People don't question whether I was a fuck up. My shit was neon. So like my message when I'm talking to a dude who's in a similar situation, I don't have to do all this qualifying. Right, right, right. Yo, I don't gotta like walk you through all the, the bang bang. Right. You know what I mean? Like you right. know what it was. Right. It creates an avenue to be effective in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason Bo is effective down there is because nobody questions him, right? It's like, it's, his shit was neon. Dude was the key holder of the Pueblos for a long period of time. So when he's moving around, youngsters don't like question, need him to like, I mean, I, I, I remember being in like, I was getting ready to get in, a, and I had no business in the middle of it, but it was quite a contentious thing running that theater program down there. Mm. And there's a whole lot of like race relations you had to deal with down there, you know? And a whole lot of like art kids from like Studio City would drive down to the hood and like, after a while, like the neighborhood was like, man, fuck all this shit. Like, I don't want you down here, yeah. you know, unless these opportunities for people from this zip code and yeah. get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that became quite contentious. And I remember like watching Bo go and talk down every single one of these neighbors. And it was short conversations and it wasn't rah, rah. It was like, they knew right away they were talking to tribe. This is what I mean by like, I'm in the tribe of the fuck ups. And I'm like a, um, a very public, um, a very public sinner, very fallible person in the public sphere. And so what I think now my purpose is, is to not do this like the other examples that we've had of how to navigate something like this, which is to go after the woman or try to like win a court case or like get back into a fucking movie yeah. or like get back on at all. You know, mm -hmm. my purpose, and I mean this with every fiber of my being is to be instructive with my life so that I can be a, an advertisement, like a billboard for a principled way of living. And that this shit on the other side of being, being where I was is still fucking sexy. It's still glittery. It's still fun. I found my smile on the other side of this shit. I, found, I learned how to laugh on the other side of this shit, like genuinely. I found a group of friends around me. You know, I, I found purpose in my life. Got this little girl, man. I mean, that's like, a, that's, that's, even that, as big as that is, that's almost an infinitesimal part of how, and feels almost like some cheesy pre-written version of what's available to a person when they start living towards this purpose. Mm. Uh, it's, um, complete alignment you know like when your head heart and your spirit and the universe are in alignment like what this agent is saying you know it's like uh you know bro i, I pray for dudes like that mm -hmm. every night before i go to sleep i pray for all my cheerleaders and all the naysayers mm -hmm. and then i ask god to give these people everything he would give me like my life is now i have experienced ego death 
And what that's allowed me to do is like open myself up to being what dudes like like Brolin and and not to lump them all to the same category and I probably shouldn't even do that but other dudes that you know Mel I remember seeing Mel at the Oscars with his head held high and I thought I was sitting in rehab this was the bullshit rehab but I remember seeing that and thinking like oh man I could do it you know and this is I'm trying to present a different version of that to the world where it's like all right you know the business aside and like all the ego shit aside which really isn't my aim anymore like my life is incredible like, i'm so fucking blessed that's not there's no cap in anything i just said to you i got so much love in my life so much joy in my life um fearlessness that i didn't have before you know um a calm a serenity um my life is full and it's not full of like the stuff that I was chasing before. I'm not here to like find my way back into nothing. Those people who don't get down with me, they probably never will, you know? Uh, to say that I don't love the craft is not true, but it's secondary to this other thing I got going on because this is all temporary. And I don't want to get too far into this route, but like people may not forgive me, but I know that I have been forgiven, you know? And I know that I am loved. And when you really know that, in your fiber and on a cellular level, then what people think about you, you know, like God bless them. It's not that it don't matter. Cause to say that like, I'm blessed in that I am in the public sphere and that people do have judgments about me. I, I'm blessed for the judgments. They keep me in line, you know? Uh, it's, it's about perspective on it. You know, like it's that, it's that can't call it shit, you know? Uh, I wasn't supposed to be there for whatever reason. Now, he's got his reasons, but he's got, you know, there's a bunch of other reasons that I wasn't supposed to be there for that. I think about the jobs that, that I that I had that I got fired from when this shit just popped off. And I think, yeah, I wasn't supposed to be there, you know. And there's a strange kind of weird validation on the other side when when like uh, when you feel like you've been saved from certain situations. And like if I sit for 12 years, it's because I'm supposed to be sitting for 12 years, you know, if, if I never work again, that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. Like my purpose isn't tied up in my craft like that anymore. And the other thing that's happened to me because I've been uh, blessed with opportunity since this shit happened is when I do show up, my way of working is totally different. How so? It's free. It's free. It's like, I mean, I heard people talk about this, but it's not so like controlling and nitpicking and trying to figure out what I got in my pockets and how I'm going to sit and let me do it this way. And like, there's a perfect take and a fuck take and, a, and like, you know, it's not that anymore. It really becomes like this, like a jazz routine with me in the universe. You know, I pray before I do shit. I'll be looking at my coworkers like, bro, I love you. You know, I, I guess like the motivator isn't, it's a different propulsion system. And so, yeah, so even that has changed in my life. And I never thought I was going to work again. And the fact that the job that I got to come back put me into the church in a real way, not in a way that I had done it previously, in a very real way, felt almost bigger than the job. Wow. It still feels bigger than the yeah, job. Yeah. And so um, I have a very defined version of God in my life. It's very defined. And I needed it defined. Now, that may not be for everybody, and that's cool. You know, you call it what you want. At the end of the day, what it really is, is it's just love. You know, every great Abrahamic text talks about the same shit. Like, 
God is love. And so I didn't know how to, I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what that actually meant. And what it is, is it's, it's selfless service for your fellows. Mm. That's what love is. Mm. And so I never had really done any of that. I had never been in part of any of that. And so even Slauson, mm -hmm. even the theater school was ego. It was straight up ego. Watch me bring art to the hood. And, and, you know, looking back on it, I could navigate a little bit better because of my upbringing and I didn't look like such a fucking square walking in because I knew who to go to and how to move and da da da. But at the end of the day, it's the same shit. It's like virtue signaling, you know? Watch me go be of service. Yeah. And then I advertised it on in on mass, you know, watch me go do this thing. It's the shit that nobody sees. It's the quiet service. It's the quiet, small work. That's the stuff that actually is much more fulfilling. And really the, the that's really what's been motivating my life. It's the only reason I can like wake up and have any respite in my life. It's the only reason I can have any kind of um, um, reprieve from this nonstop monologuing that happens in my head that will put me in a shame spiral. You know, I, I could very easily walk into a coffee shop in the middle of Venice and look around and watch people look at me and write a whole monologue about how you think I'm the elephant man. Mm -hmm. And if I really want to, I could just go on Twitter and just scroll my name and just fall into some kind of K-hole of self-deprecating shame and darkness. Do you ever do that anymore? Of course, I've, of course. That's why this is a daily thing, you know? Mm -hmm. My ego doesn't just disappear, like ego death, but that motherfucker will pop back up at a moment's notice. Yeah, yeah. The minute I do anything good. So prayer, what else? Like, how do, you, how do you keep it at bay? How do you keep it dead? Like, how do you extinguish it when it pops up on a daily basis? Having a kid is really helpful for humility. Definitely. Because you know, a kid don't care. No. Nope. You know? uh, that's really helpful. She's very helpful uh, in keeping me humble. Um, having a squad, being a part of a group that gives you feedback in real time can you walk me through the squads is that how often is that is it, it's a meeting it's every day every 60 day. dudes um and yeah we meet every single day 6 p.m on zoom we have bike rides on thursday we meet up at the beach on sunday you know we go to other groups and stuff like that but it's like a squad it's a squad it's full-on it's like it's like a gang and um i get out of it what boga gets out of being in the pueblos mm -hmm. Bo's not gonna tell you about all the bang bang shit he gets out. He's gonna talk about the love that he gets in it, yep. and the the, you know, I remember Bo telling me one time. Like, I remember asking him questions like you did. Like, why did you join this? And he remember I remember him telling me a story about how like. He was in the middle of some shit at a house, and fifty dudes showed up. For him, to help him. That's the feeling that I get out of like. This squad that I have, you know, it's not tied to like w what uh, what I'm doing. What they don't ask me questions like, "Hey, man, what are you working on?" That's not that's not what goes on in that room, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's other people in that room who dip and dabble in the arts and stuff like that. But there's also like just regular cats, you know. Um, and it, it, it's a great equalizer. It's a great equalizer. It's, it's a it just keeps me in check. It keeps me on the ball. You know, it keeps me in alignment. You know, they ask questions like, were you honest all day? You know, they ask questions like, uh, what'd you do for somebody else today? You know, uh, were you kind to all God's kids? Were you kind to everybody today? Oh, you weren't? Tell me about it. Well, I flipped the dude off in traffic. Word? Why? You know, oh, uh, well, and then, you, you know, you, you talk it out. Not that you're trying to dwell in the, the toxicity, but like you're trying to get to 
you're trying to build an awareness around how you move in this life so that you can create like a bit of distance from your reactions. I'm such a reactive person yeah. and, and being like, being a cat who like, uh, I mean, I'm not Stanislavski. I don't know why people accredit me with this shit. That's your thing. I was never that guy. I was far more uh, into, um, into a different craft. You know, I was far more reactive. And when you, when, you, when you work that way, then it's very difficult to like navigate the world and not be that. You know, I was very reactive in life, which is a lot of where this drama came from. A lot of this trauma and pain that I perpetuated on people was so reactive. Um, so I'm developing a pause. I'm developing like the ability to shut the fuck up and not do anything. You know, and it felt so emasculine to not do something. Mm. It feels mm. like emasculine to not do something. Mm. Mm. And um, for me, there's nothing more masculine than a mountain. Tell me why. You just don't do much. And yeah. it's always there. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't move it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so, like, that's it's what complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, it's got all kinds of shit on yeah, it. But yeah, but it's also super simple. That's true, too. Yeah, I, I mean, not to get too, like, mm. uh, arty-farty with the shit, but mm. I like the stability of a mountain. Mm. I like the simplicity of a mountain. Mm. I like the complexity of a mountain. There's different notes, sure, mm. you know, mm. different elevations, mm. yeah. I'm, I'm not... I'm not interested in like a monotone, naive optimism either. You know, that's not what I'm pitching. It's not, it doesn't make me effective to tell a dude who's in the middle of being on fire, hey, it's all going to be okay. Because um, it's not. Some shit's not going to be okay. And, and then you got to ask yourself why that's happening. And God either is or he isn't. You know, that's just, it's very simple. And so even the negativity that befalls your life or any kind of tragic shit that happens in your life really is you're being tapped. You know, this is how God refines. And, and so I'm blessed, bro. I'm blessed for all the fuck-ups, too. I'm blessed that, that, um, that I had a group of people around me who, when I was in triage mode, could really grab my arm and tie a tourniquet. And now I'm able to, to pay it forward and be a service to other people. And even show up here and, like, look another man in the eye. Just that was like a big hurdle to get past. When you're in the kind of shame that I was in and you've been uh, defined a certain kind of way in the public... Just to get to the place where you could sit down and look another man in the eye and speak honestly about where you're at, that's a big, that's like a testament to a lot of work that God done. 100%. And really, if that's all you get out of doing the work, mm. then, then, then do the work, you know? So, and I keep going to this God thing, and, I, and, and, it, and it's not like the get out of jail free card for me, you know? It's not like I'm trying to say this stuff to, to um, absolve myself of anything. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be an advertisement for what this did in my life. It, it changed my life. I was kicking it with these monks for nine months. And I, for a while, yeah. I just thought like, Where all right, were this, you with them? Uh, Santa Inez, uh, there's a, a monastery, monastery called the San Lorenzo Novitiate. It's okay. a monastery. Okay. Franciscan monks. And I was there for living in my truck in a parking lot for months until they brought me in. And wound up being like a, this nine month journey with them. And they laugh so much you never think monks are are they? they just fucking they're laughing all the time they're laughing like they're laughing a laugh that feels pure it's not based on like this cutting of anybody up cutting anybody up it's like can you give pure, me an example like somebody like like lets a fart out or yeah like, like it's that, that kind of stuff. it's just like childish Human, baby people shit have been laughing about since they're little kids bro it's like it's like they've cultivated their innocence they're like kids mm -hmm. they're not but there's this innocence to them when they don't have to deal, they've taken permanent vows of chastity, obedience, and poverty. And when you cut that shit out of your life, it leaves you with this, a very, a very 
specific palette with which to paint. When, when money isn't dictating any of your decisions because you don't have a bank account, when, when sexual relations and pussy, and that's not clouding your brain, infringing on your ability to see shit. If you're not in charge of nothing, if you're completely obedient to basically their commanding officer, their head of, the head of vocations, then it puts you in this very like whimsical wonder there's a lot of wonder. Yeah. It's like they're 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 in awe all the time, not like in a naive way. You never has seen you never seen people have more fun at a barbecue kind of way. <laughs> the kind of shit where like I remember one time, there was there was a couple of monks there. You know they would go get groceries. People donate stuff to them, right? They don't buy shit. They live off of the whatever somebody's. Some days it's gonna be edamame. Some days it's gonna be gummy bears. They're they're living off of what they get, right? There's a beauty to Are it. Are they happy with as fuck yeah. with everything? No, but I mean, like, is there is there? There's no preference. Lima beans, like for real. Yeah, yeah, straight up. But but is but is the lima beans? Is that disappointment? They will freak some lima joy? beans. It's okay. not like they don't so know what to do is, with lima they're, beans. They're good with it. They're gonna freak lima beans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lima <laughs> beans is gonna be something you want to have. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're gonna freak it out, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. They're, they're gonna do go get to work. Yeah, There's 20 yeah. dudes gonna be in there like chefing. Yeah. Like, yeah, Wolfgang Puck or some gummy bears, you know? We're about to make yeah. this happen. Yeah. It's, it's gonna pop in here tonight. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're excited about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, they'll be walking up and down the hallways like lima beans tonight, G. You yeah. know? And anyway, so I remember driving behind them, and this is like early days. This is back when I had, you know, when Abel first reached out to me about doing this. It was all ego. I was still early days of sobriety. It was like, ooh, back to hustle, wiggle room. That's how it started for me. It's like, oh, you want me to do what? With who? Willem Dafoe. Oh, bro, let me, yeah, ooh, yeah. Forget all this sobriety talk. Forget all this cleaning. Yeah, I'm back. Ooh, here we go, bro. Back, right? It happened so fast. And um, now I'm in the mirror again. I'm doing my shit again. Mm. Just back to the old me, you know, mm. just getting to work, you know, trying to find who this dude could be and, mm. and, uh, and I'm expl I'm back into like full blown. Did it diminish the shame? The shame that was on your shoulder? Yes. Did that start yeah, to? Yeah, it went away. Yeah, it went away. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what yeah. it, work used to do for me. It was yeah. like, oh, you talk shit all you want, agent man. Yeah. But I'm like going to work. So yeah. like, I don't care, you know. Yeah. And even now, like, there's parts of me that are like, well, yeah, okay, you can hate on me, hate on me all you want, but I'm still talking to this dude or doing that, and you know, my head's still, that's I'm tough. still, yeah, I'm, I'm a human being, yeah. human being, of course. And you got to navigate, it. you got to see when it happens, yeah. you know. Right away when you said that, I'm in my head like, ooh, Coppola, yeah, you know, like I'm, I want to like speak to like, who are you to this, and just constant, it happens. It's just a constant um, process you got to be aware of. Um, so yeah, I remember driving behind them to go pick up this stuff. And this is early days, so I'm not even there for spirituality. I'm there for like, where do you put your hands? What's it look like when you do this? I'm just like building, right. I'm just building, yeah. you know? All right, what kind of, you know, like the the the, va the vapid shit. Yeah. Yeah, what kind of shoes, thief, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just, just like, yeah. oh, prayer life? Yeah, okay, boom, yeah. What does that look like? It mm -hmm. just looks like a dude sitting in a room. Okay, cool, but I'm not gonna actually get involved in that process, you know? And so uh, I'm, dri I'm driving behind them. They're going to pick up these groceries and I see this dude on the left turn to the dude on the right, and he just starts laughing. Just ha, 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 ha. Like the kind of, like, it looks like a cartoon, mm -hmm. like a cartoon laugh. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of silhouetted because I'm in the back watching them drive. And, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I've experienced that a bit in my life. I remember being on Fury with you and laughing like that on the mm -hmm. tank. And these are like the, the, the most incredible moments of my life looking back now. Mm -hmm. These moments where you're laughing like that. Mm -hmm. 
And they laughed all the way to go get the lima beans. Mm. And on the way back to the seminary, they laughed all the way back to the <laughs> seminary. And I thought this was a one-off. And every time we would get in the car and these dudes would get in the car, it was this silhouette of just outrageous laughter. Mm. And, you know, you ask them, like, what are you laughing about, yeah. man? Yeah. And the dude's like, don't know. Everything. Everything. Sometimes I just look at the dude and we'll just start laughing at each other. <laughs> and it's, it's, um, it's, joy was the first, like, laughter was the first miracle. It felt like, I don't know, that was the first attractive thing about faith for me was the laughter. Wow. And the fact that these monks aren't like docile, solemn all the time. You know, they cut each other's hair, they're in the gym, they're dudes, but they also have a principled life. And that became very attractive to me at a certain point. I've always been attracted to guys like Kevin Vance. I've always been attracted to a Marine, to a gangster, to a, an extremist who's got, who's cultivated this kind of tribe around him, mm -hmm. who it resembles some kind of weird, jumbled up idea of masculinity to me, these go-getters in life. Because really what's sexy is the commitment. Mm -hmm. The commitment to a lifestyle Direction. Is, is sexy. Mm -hmm. Whether it be Bo or Kevin or whatever, you're committed to it. It's a lifelong thing. It's not a tattoo. There's no removal. <laughs> this is forever, right? That's right? And so you get around these monks and you feel something like what you feel when you're around Kevin. You feel something like what you feel when you're around Bo. It's sexy. It's super appealing. You're a part of a group and they're, they're knee deep in it. They, they, they are in love with what they got going on. And the Hollywood shit is secondary. I, and, you know, I remember telling them what was going on for me in my life when I was there. And they were the first guys to say um, things to me that sounded like there was a route towards something salvific for me. Like? Like, it happened, um, like, this stuff also happened to a man named St. Augustine. And they started breaking down Augustine to me and who he was and started explaining to me who St. Francis was. And you come to find that most of these stories of saints in the faith were fuck-ups, full-blown fuck-ups. They weren't perfect people who did perfect shit their whole lives and then wound up. They right. were, they, a touched requirement. Touched by God from the beginning, pooping gold, like, yeah. It wasn't that yeah, way. Yeah. The requirement for their sainthood was the fuck-up. That they'd been there. They had to, they had to have experienced real negative shit in their life to be able to have this other thing, this salvation, this hero's journey. They're explaining saints to me. It's like the hero's path, you know, and I'm a writer. I'm in my head. You know, what is my hero's journey? I'm always asking myself, well, what? And I, this is sort of, and I always thought it was going to be through the craft that my hero's journey was kid from the bottom, came to Hollywood with no fucking training. And now, now I'm like, you know, working with these people and this, and I'm doing that. And that was my hero's journey. And it was so curt. It was so blunt and lazy. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like this other thing that's available. And so you get around these dudes and you hear about their path and how these guys got there. And you start meeting dudes who like professional tennis players, you know, got lost on steroids, you know, drugged up, got w completely wayward and then decided to enter the order. Mm -hmm. And so these are dudes who know something about competitive, you know, competitive sports. They know about like ego in the way that I do. The only people I've ever been able to feel like I'm close to in terms of the way that I deal with my craft is athletes. It's sports figures. Mm -hmm. And you find that a lot of sports figures are deeply insecure people because it's all based, it, because it's a meritocracy, and that's what I, irregardless of this, is, if this is how the business works now, I view, the way I view the business is, it is a meritocracy. You know, you, you, you get respect based on what you can do and how hard you work. 
And sports is like that. And that's a shitty way to live because everything that comes to you is based on you and what you do. And if everything in your life surrounds you and is centered on you, you become a fucking uh, a vapid, self-interested, mm. selfish, self-centered human being. How could you not? The world is happening in front of you. The default setting already is that you're completely self-absorbed. Right. But then when you're involved in a meritocracy, like pe working for commission, basically, when, when, then, then it's all about your efforts. Your efforts dictate the how your life is gonna go. And then there's no room to have faith. The guys that couldn't make the team, are you worthless because you didn't make yeah, the yeah. team? Not at all. Do you have a purpose out there? Are you important See, to but people? that not at all is not a given. It's not a given. Understood, yeah. understood. Which, and well, I think it's, it, it, it is probably was and is extraordinarily difficult for you. Yeah, that was my self-worth. Who's been doing this for so fucking long. That was and, it. Yeah, man. I had no value once they took the job from me. There was no value in me as a human without this craft. I didn't have any reason to be alive. Mm -hmm. My whole life. And you were super untrusting of friendship, bro. Like you never, you know what yeah, I mean? Like true. that's what like before I even met you, man, I was like, I'm gonna show that motherfucker what it's like to have a friend. It's like true. I'm gonna be his friend. And you, it was always, you know, it was always a resistance. Which made me untrusting of love, mm -hmm. which made me untrust of love in every version and capacity right. of it. And so my relationship with my wife, all the friends that I had in my life, mm -hmm. they were always like less than they could be. And even with guys like Bo, mm -hmm. you know, when Bo kept in contact with me through all this, you know, you know, and other people as well. But it, it was guys like that who had messages of depth and weight who could really speak to the fact that, like, you'd been lower. Bo had been lower than me. Bo was sitting down for a long time. Now, I'm not in prison for a bunch of different reasons that have to do with politics and reality of race relations in america and you know if, if this shit had happened yeah. to a white woman and i was a black man this would be a different story mm -hmm. we wouldn't be talking in the same kind of thing i'm fully aware of the kind of privilege with which i move through the world right. and um and so bo is able to like when we talk about humility and getting right sized you need certain dudes if you're a person <clears throat> like me you need certain people who've been there who've experienced certain shit in their lives where they can speak to what you're dealing with because a therapist isn't going to speak to it. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to hear it from you who studied Carl Jung in Harvard for five years and really grew up in Thousand Oaks and then, you know, you, you got injured when you played football and then life just all worked out. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to hear it from you. It has to be from a guy who I know has been there and also a guy who I know has a real laugh. Bo has real joy in his mm -hmm. life. Real mm -hmm. joy. Mm -hmm. It's not manufactured mm -hmm. and it's not it's also not tied to his finances or his uh his ego that dude is a service to his he's got a he has a route towards being of service to his the hood his people the people around him you know he's involved mm -hmm. in in the community and he's of service the whole reason that shit started up was i was piggybacking his knowledge of how to be a service for my ego Slauson started with a conversation with me and him, me trying to, you know, I was trying to join a gang. I was in a, you know, I was hanging out with, with a bunch of Harpies members and was like fully jumped in and was a part of a gang and trying to talk to him about shit. He's looking at me like, bro, you don't know fuck, you, know, you right. got a bunch of tattoos and like, you, okay, right. You got jumped in the park. You don't know anything about this shit, yeah. you know? And, and he was generous with me. He could have just wrote me off, you know, as a person with no depth and no weight because I hadn't experienced shit in my life compared to him. Now we speak more like 
contemporaries because yep. yep. he knows how to bend to hell yep. in a real way. Yep. And he knows while we were talking, I was there. Yep. And it, it, I mean, this is kind of part of being a man. It's mm -hmm. like you kind of got to fuck it all up a little bit. I think so. I think part of learning is dying. I think part of learning is you got to die a little bit because what is learning? Learning is me giving up on my old shit, my old ideas. Those ideas have to die for me to be open to some new shit. And so me learning how to be a better man, I had to die a little bit. And when you kill shit inside of you, man, there's a fucking hole and you don't know what to put in there. And right. You just got to find the right food. Right. You got to find the right food. And I was lucky to have like some good dudes in my life at the time when it hit for me to be able to fill it with the right shit. You know, and, and that's only further the longer I've been in the middle of it, you know, getting in contact with whatever spiritual path you find. But when you're around a bunch of dudes who are really committed to that kind of life, uh, it, it, it rubs off on you if you're around it long enough. I just want to give you one more opportunity if you want to just to speak about your your wife, man, and just uh, about what she means to you and, and um, you know, her her path and her relationship with all this. I know she's been a part of your life for a long time, yeah. but just, just just if you if you feel it, just speak on her. Yeah, well. Uh, I'll never be able to speak on it. I don't. I don't know nothing like this relationship. I never have in my life. I never had. Even my parents. Even my father. You know, I never had what I got with her, mm -hmm. which is, you know, to enter my life to be with me. She had to take a loss. She had to like eat shit to be with me. To be with me, she had to. To re-enter being a part of my life, she had to take a hit uh, in ways that I've spoken about before and in other ways too, probably, you know? And uh, what I know love to be is selfless, loving action. And I've never known anything as loving or as selflessly active as what this woman did for me in my life. She showed up for me at a time when I mean, this is the first time I saw her. We had been estranged for like years because of my jealousy. She went and did a movie with another actor and I thought she was cheating on me. So then I cheated on another. It was just Some fucking mess. Shit. It was all yeah, we shit. Uh, little boy shit, like nonsense. And we hadn't talked for two years when all this shit hit. And I wound up at this rehab, right, um, in Utah. And they do something called Family Week. And every week... On a Sunday, everybody who's involved in the program has their family show up on these Skype calls. And everybody will show up in the same room. And your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your friends, whatever. Just you and the people? Or no, the it's whole... you, the whole squad of you that are in this group. Like 12 of us in and, my and class. everyone's family. Everyone's family pops up on the screen. And week one, no one shows up for me. No one. They got the calls. I know they got the calls, but no one showed up. My mother, my father, no one. No one showed up. Manager, friends, no one showed up. Week two, same thing. So I'm sitting in this room, and even the person who's, like, therapizing me, she's starting to feel like this. She's empathizing with where I'm at. Everybody else in the room, we got a dude who, like, you know, this isn't just alcoholics and shit. This is like fucking arsonists and like child predators and all kind of wild people in this group, right? And they got people showing up for them. And I don't have nobody showing up for me. And week two, week three, I'm there 90 days. So I'm there for a, 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 a clip. And there comes a point where family week comes around. I say to my therapist, like, ah, I'm not going to go. You know, what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't want to subject myself to this shit. Like, I'm, 
I'm on a path and, you know, let me just stay here. Like, I don't want to keep reminding myself of how fucked my situation is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she says, no, nah, I think you should show up this week. And I show up thinking, all right, my mom's going to be on there. You know, my mom will be on. And Mia is on the screen. And, you know, like, Ugh. you don't deserve that kind of shit. You know what I mean? You don't deserve that kind of shit. Like, like, I don't deserve that kind of shit. You know, I done put, I done put her through years and years of fucking nonsense, bro. Just like, oh, yeah. And I don't have nothing to offer her either. You know what I mean? I'm in the middle of my shit. You know, I'm fucking like, I'm like, I'm like two months into this program. You know, I don't even have nothing going on. I don't even have no, I have nothing, nothing going on. I'm making this list. She's at the top of the list, but I ain't, I'm not reaching out to her or nothing like that. And, uh, and you, you heard her voice. Like, she's like a fucking angel. You know what I mean? She, and, uh, everybody does their shit and I'm fucking gone, you know? And so they let her go first because I can't even fucking believe. And they all know because I ain't had no family show up for me. And, uh, and she just, she unmutes uh, and she's like, hi, Shia. You know, and it's like, she's prepping a movie. She ain't got no fucking time for this, you know? But she found time and she said, hi, Shia. And uh, we just smile. We don't have nothing else to say. But she saved my fucking life, dog. Like, it, uh, before the kid, before the job, before fucking before God, before any religion, before any, before a laugh, before a laugh, before a laugh, before Bo, before a phone, before anything, was this woman's face, and, uh, there wasn't no promises made, wasn't no long conversation being had, nothing, just her presence, the ministry of presence, sometimes that's all you need to offer a person who's in a situation like that, is like, just to be present. And she was present for me at a time when I didn't deserve to have nobody in my life. Especially her. And I'm not trying to do this boo shit. Because right away my head goes to like, how's this being viewed? I'm such a fuck this no, no, way. You're but good. You, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, she's, a, she's, a, she's a real one. <laughs> she's a real one. In the, yeah. uh, and uh, I'll never be able to. I'll never be able to. It's the first time I really understood love because I didn't have nothing to give. And I was sitting there thinking like, well, I don't have nothing. It's not sexy to be with me. Don't you get it? Like people out here accusing me of like putting makeup on my genitals and like shooting dogs and shit. You know, that's what I'm being accused of. And you're showing up for me like you're you're gonna be tied to this shit. Mm. I could it didn't make no fucking sense. Mm. And love is irrational that way. You can't rationalize real love. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And I had spent my whole life trying to rationalize it. Like ah, oh, you know this dude hits me up. He's in my corner because you know we fuck with the same craft. You know what yeah. I mean? That's what he lo- he loves this thing that I got. That I'm like I'm G with this shit over here. That's why he loves me because he loves that part of me mm. that's G at this. Mm. You know. And and then I would I would write your love off like oh, okay you love me because I do this shit. Mm. And so many of my relationships were basically like you love me because I'm fucking sensei over here in the dojo i'm black belt right here so you love me because of this and when they blow the dojo up you're like i'm not g i'm not sensei at nothing i got no i don't even know how to fish i don't even know how to fucking do nothing like i don't even know how to camp i'm a fucking little kid Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i don't know how to make a fire Mm -hmm. 
And, um, yeah, she gave me hope, bro, when I was really, like, running on fumes. I wasn't running on empty, but I was running on fumes. I had a sponsor in my life who was kind of, he was saying, yo, be patient. The shit will show up. Miracles will show up. This was another miracle. Bags packed is a miracle. You know, them laughing in the car is a miracle. My wife's face on the Skype call is a miracle. This shit starts to add up where, you know, it it becomes this like, it creates faith. Because you're not doing it. It wasn't some fucking dope poem I sent or some flowers I sent that put her on the Skype call. And it wasn't good behavior or being a a man. It wasn't good sex that got my wife on the Skype call. It wasn't like any of this self-will shit that I used to validate her being in my life. Like, even my sex life was like, it was so performative. It was like, well, if a woman didn't orgasm, I would question it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what does this mean about me? Mm -hmm. It was always about me. I never had like, like, like a real coupling it was always performative and it was always like this constant validation trip if i i would try to look for the same shit i got at work over here in this relationship and the reason i didn't like being friends with men is it was constantly this comparison study you know this has been difficult too is to like reach back out to people who were in my corner then who are still in my corner but are g's it's hard to reach out to dudes like that because you knew them at a certain level. You know, mm. another dude who really showed up for me was Cuddy. Mm. Uh, like, he was the first friend that really hit me back, you know, like, and he's a fucking G. Dude is like, his life is on fire. And it's hard to, like, I've always known him at a certain kind of equivalency. We've always been to be in a, in a, in a, in each other's lives is sort of like, you know, like I knew him at a level mm-hmm. and I'm not at that level. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's difficult to like, uh, to show up for the love, to show up for the love that people are throwing at you. Cause you think you're, you know, you think you are these Twitter comments. You think you are this idea of what you, what, uh, fuck, I got to get out of this octave because I sound like boohoo bullshit. No, 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 no. But, Come on, being you, bro. Yeah, but I don't want to be it's, fucking performative for it, your it, shit. It, it, but dude, just... It's difficult for a dude in my spot to receive love because uh, you, you don't feel like you deserve it. And so uh, you wind up dipping on a lot of people even when they're showing up for you. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have like real conversations. I had to really put it out there to him like, bro, I don't feel successful enough to be your friend anymore. <laughs> what a fucking like crazy shit to write, but yeah. you got to, you got to air it out. You're not stuck there anymore. Nah, you see what I wouldn't be is. able to sit here with you if I was there. Right. I wouldn't be able to sit here and talk to you about this shit. Right. And, and so it's, it's re- so the, the emotion right now, what this is it's almost from, in the realization it's in retros- of yeah. like, damn. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Where I was. Up. Who gives a fuck about all that shit? This is where I, I'm, I'm looking back at it. Cause I think, fuck, what a sorry case. Like what a sad motherfucker yeah. for real. You yeah. know what a. And that's who I was. Not even that. Not even that long ago, bro. This is like two months ago. But but I understand. But the fact that you, the the fact that you were there, the fact that you've been there, that you treaded on that path, means you can actually talk to others who are fucking locked in. And I do. And I do. That's it, man. And and uh, yeah, and and um, that really is my purpose in life now. Is to like be able to express the reality of my life that you could be where I just was, you know, in some kind of sense memory, like re- remembering the text message conversation I had with this man. And also know that 
Now we talk all the time. Mm -hmm. you know? Now, now I, I don't need to be anything. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be a certain this or a certain that to have permission mm -hmm. to have friends mm -hmm. um, or a wife mm -hmm. or, or anything. Mm -hmm. Like I, I deserve it. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to, to, to say that you deserve love when on paper, no, you don't. You know what I mean? Listen, bro, like for me, there are few things as ugly as putting your hands on a woman. What else is, what is, there's nothing worse. I remember I used to come into AA all the time and put my hand up like, yeah, I just got in a fight with a cop. I grew up on Easy e This shit's sexy, you know what I mean? I used to put my hand up like, oh, I just flipped a car, you know what I mean? I just got in a fight with, with a, this or that. And there was like this faux, it was like, it was like, I romanticized that yeah, kind of shit. 100%. When you come back in and you raise your hand and you don't even need to raise your hand because dude's already read it. Your baggage already showed up at the hotel before you got there. People know about you. There's nothing sexy about what I'm dealing with. And that's what makes me useful. It's also why I go to strictly men's meetings. Because you don't hear about dudes talk about what we're talking about at a mixed meeting. Because very quickly, once women are involved, I probably wouldn't be able to talk like this with you if there was a woman here. Because right away, the, the little boy in me would start like curating again. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and when I'm here with you, I can forget about that also and all this shit. It takes a certain kind of dude to be able to open a person up like this mm -hmm. and be receptive of it. Mm -hmm. And also like show up and look the dragon in the eye knowing that there's purpose. Yeah. Like I'm purpose driven yes, here. Yes. I'm willing to eviscerate myself and emasculate myself yes. and like... Because I know that there's this grander purpose than like me trying to. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, so the reason I go to strictly men's meetings is because you get people do dudes get vulnerable about the ugly shit, the shit that dudes don't want to talk about, and the reason this show is important is because you kind of serve the same purpose that those things on a on a on a, a bigger scale in a less specified sense for a, lo a lot of dudes that don't have a masculinity ceremony. There's no puberty ceremony in culture. Right. What, when do you come in as an American man, when do you become a man? When you get a driver's license? Like, what do we do? You're 16, we give you a driver's license. Okay, well, like you get a job? Mm -hmm. Like, when do you become a man? Mm -hmm. You become a man when you become responsible for other people. And part of that is taking accountability. Yep. And so like, I am very new to this being a man thing <laughs> and I'm still not there and I'm on a path. Um, but I didn't have no like, I grew up on a, in a culture that told me going to war made you a man. Going to Get prison and coming back, coming back makes you a man. Um, making a million dollars makes you a man, you know, and, and it doesn't. And you don't know it till you done all these things and realize, damn, still I'm a still baby. a little fucking boy. Yeah. Or been around people who've been there a bunch of times. You know, I don't know nothing about being at war like Kevin, but I know a bunch of soldiers that come back and are still fucking little boys. Can't wait to get back out. I know so many dudes can't wait to get back out. You know, guys that we know, uh, you know, f f warriors. Uh, but even warriors don't make be that don't make you a man. That's right. You know. Also, my definition of warrior has changed. Me too. Like, you know, I didn't really know what that meant. And really, it's about bringing others back. Mm -hmm. And that's my whole fucking mission, dog, really. is just to, like, dudes who've been where I've been or something similar, just know it gets better. It does. Like, it, it don't make no sense. It doesn't make no sense. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense on paper that I could have joy in abundance in my life, that I could feel 
any kind of joy in my life after being what I've been. Mm-hmm. It and doesn't make... The path make, isn't clear. It's not no, lit up. You got to no. find it. Yeah. And, and also, you got to get the fuck out of the way. And, and that's, that's where the work really, really is. It's like getting out the way and allowing this bigger thing to work in your life. Because the bigger thing is working in your life whether you know it or not. And you're either going to let go willingly or you're going to get dragged. But either way, you're going to be humbled in this life. And there's nothing you can do about it. How do you feel about the craft going forward? Is that, are you, are you, I know you talked about the experience you just had and it aligned yourself and it served you and served your mission and informed your mission. Sure. But, but you also recognize that there's real trappings. You also recognize that there's Did real... Did you say trappiness? Trappings, trappings, oh, trappings. Trappiness is a good word for it. Yeah, trappiness. Well, but, but you yeah, know, but same shit, trappings, Doug. You yeah. know what I mean? There's you, you go down that path and those voices, how do you feel? What are you looking for? What's your interest? Do you have a plan? Do you have desires? Do you have like... Nope. What, like so tell me. So like, what's yeah, your relationship I, to it now? I'm not just saying this because it sounds good. Like my... I'm, I'm, I'm on my professional good guy. Like all I care about is my purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't... You know, I don't really think about craft much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when it pops up um and really the only guys that can work with a guy like me are dudes at a certain level because mm-hmm. they're gonna have to talk to a marketing department mm-hmm. about why they just <laughs> hired an atomic bomb to come work on their movie you know why, uh and 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 the only dudes who can really make that kind of shit happen are guys who are very far and few between right but i'm also not in this jobbing mode mm-hmm. you know what i mean I, like i was talking about dude the other day like i something really sexy about working at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. You know, my head goes there mm-hmm. before it goes to like, let me go work on some movie where I'm playing a Romanian vampire lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You think you could work at Home Depot? Yeah. You think you, think you have the skills uh, thousand for percent. But you think you understand the yeah. inventory of Home Depot? I spend Depot. so much time in Home Depot, dog. Do you? Yeah, that's a church for me. Yeah. Home Depot is... Are you is, building a lot? Are you working with yeah, your hands? Yeah, yeah. I'm in okay. Home Depot all the time. Okay, so you feel like you I love you Home Depot. A, what, what, what's another job you feel like you, 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 you could do that, that would both serve you and your mission you feel like you'd be good at? Oh, just any kind of like regular shit. Like regular like... Do you think you could work in a kitchen? No, no, because no. you're not good. You're no, not well, that's good. another kind of that takes. It's, okay, that's another kind of crafty job right, where, right, like, right. you know, you the impetus is on your the the poetry of you. Right, right. And then I'm right. fucking lost again. Right. I'm talking about something that doesn't where there where the poetry of me doesn't matter one fucking iota. Right. I need something like I'm I'm looking at jobs that that don't cultivate your poetry uh-huh. and your uniqueness. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm looking uh-huh. for jobs uh-huh. that like that keep me humble. Uh-huh. And I think. Working at Home Depot mm-hmm. is one. Home Depot is full of possibilities. So in the back of your mind, there's not something, this yearning. I mean, I'm sure the voice is there, that's saying, "I got, I got stories to tell. I got to get out there. No. I got it. No, it's gone. No, no. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone, or it's just quiet. I don't wake up and think about what acting I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> no, right. that doesn't uh, take any space in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have an agent. I don't have like. I don't live that shit. I have dudes I'm around and I watch them do the shit. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, both because I, I've been, my life is structured in such a way where the universe has has given me that gift. That's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. I need you to not be mm-hmm. interested in me. Mm-hmm. I need that route to not be open to me for <laughs> yeah, me to get where sure. I need to be. For sure. Because if it is, for sure, buddy boy, for sure. You know, I, I'm I, I'm gonna go. Is there any way that you feel like you can use your 
But that's also not to say that there aren't opportunities where you can't say no. You know, when Coppola calls you, when 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 Abel Ferreira calls you, these are dudes I looked up to before I was a heretic. Right. You know, what I mean, I, I always bad lieutenant for me, top ten. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the conversation, top ten. Yeah. This shit, it's like when the top tens call you, then then it's like don't deny God either. Right. And so. I was blessed to work with Abel and had an incredible uh, experience working with him and made a lifelong friend in him. And he had the clout and the was insane enough and was searching for something so specific that he thought I was the right guy for the job. Uh, I have something to offer for a very specific kind of guy in a very specific kind of role. It happened to work there. Um, it also had intrinsic value attached to it. Yep, yep. And so that, you know, I, that I, you learned by doing it. You didn't know going in. Nah, you, dude, you, nah. you, you, as, I, as it is. I went in there on a, let me get back to my hustle mission. You know, Abel Ferreira, Willem Dafoe. Oh shit, I'm back on. I can, I can read the deadline articles now. You know what I mean? Like this is where my, I, instantly. And so, uh, more humility had to happen through the process, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and has to happen on a day to day basis. Day-to-day. You know, I'm, I'm uh, movie got into Venice. It's in competition. Boy, right away, my fucking head could do all talk, all kind of shit and make me feel like, oh, you know what? You're back on, dog. You know, uh, and, and, and I, I spend a lot of time in prayer. Like, why? Why? Why, you, why do you got us going there? You know, uh, why have you made it? accessible to me and not to other people why have you provided me wiggle room it is my responsibility to not make it that yeah yeah and 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 what what kind of lesson am i supposed to be learning here not just not just in how to navigate the stuff away from set but how do i navigate on set relations do you want me to work different you know this is why my work in different happened it was like because my main priority was my good guy and my way of working was not about that at all my way of working was animal. Totally. It was totally instinct-driven, uh, magic-cultivating. I couldn't even put my finger. I don't have a process. You at least have a. Pro- I don't have no process. My process is. I don't even know what it is. I don't know what I do, uh, which is another problem. But um, this time it was because I was playing a a, a priest, a monk. And I was surrounded by non-actors. It was no other actors. There was only monks around me. You have no, there's no acting going on. It's, you're going to show up in the morning and pray with us. And you're going to have to learn Latin prayer. You're going to have to do this. Uh, You can't act this. You can't be over here on your cell phone and then jump over here and be running mass. It's not going to work. So it forced me to, and there's a certain amount of humility that comes with being a priest. Uh, and a certain amount of suffering that you ask for. You know, a priest is a masochist. It's the most masochistic thing in the world to want to be a priest. Because what are you actually doing? It's the ultimate performance. When you go up and run mass, you're performing the death of Christ. You're not just telling the tale. You are embodying the, 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 uh, the journey to the mount, you are performing yeah. it, yeah. and the good ones really go there. I happen to be playing a dude who, and this is why the job worked for me, invited a, a certain amount of destruction into his life. 
He invited a certain amount of pain and he painted with his pain. He felt, Pio specifically felt that his mass was a mass of tears. And so he would cultivate all this pain. This, he was nourishing mm -hmm. and cultivating and watering his pain mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis because he felt his purpose was to suffer for others. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there for a minute. I remember talking to you about like what this job is. You know, your job is to show up and bleed out. That's how we used to talk about this. Right. What is the job? Show up and die in front of the camera. You better, you know, leave it all on the field. That's how I used to talk about my craft was mm -hmm. I am a vessel for suffering. Mm -hmm. What I do best is I suffer in front of a camera. Mm -hmm. And so you're playing this guy. You have this certain way of working. And yet it's like the most, it's the most loving, calm, collaborative lack of control in a performance I've ever had. The performance isn't something I made, it happened to me. You know, we would do takes, and right before the take I'd get nervous and I'd look over to this dude named Brother Alex, and I never used to do this. I used to play like music on loudspeaker. You know, I used to be such a, like a, a manager. You know, yeah, but you gotta play this song on this, nah, 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 nah. I'm gonna go jump in the corner and I'm gonna, you've seen how I get down, mm -hmm. like it's so managed. I'm not gonna show up on set until da, 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 da. I'm not gonna rehearse. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, da, da, da. This guy's gotta be here and you gotta do this. Yeah, and don't you, look at me. You, and you're getting in my way. You're the enemy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get away from enemy. me. Yeah. yeah. I don't need you here, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, this time it was like I was leaning on dudes who weren't, weren't actors, you know? And they would look at me and they don't have the answers either. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes when you're entering a mass of tears and you're playing one of the most important figures in all of Catholicism, the pressure's heavy. The, the pressure's enormous. You're in Italy. You're staying at the seminary he grew up in. He is, he is considered like the most important, other than Christ in Italy, he is the most important Catholic. He's more important than St. Francis. He is, they, they paint him on walls. He's, so when you tell people you're playing Pio right away, you can't live up to it. It's just impossible. You're never going to get it. And, and really, it's like playing Bob Dylan. If you're going to play Bob Dylan, you better learn how to play some songs. Right. If you're going to play Pio, you need to, how to know how to run a mass. And so there's a lot of pressure in a mass. And so 11 months of prep went to this one moment where you're getting ready to run this mass. And old me would have been so managed. Old me would have been so nitpicky and so controlling and this got to be there and that's got to be here and really like I showed up on set it was the easiest and probably the best work of my life uh, I showed up on set I looked at this man I told him I loved him he told me he loved me and then you're off and running and I had never had that as a motivator when I told you like what motivated my life before all this happened to me wasn't love it wasn't goodwill towards my fellows the idea that that was that, that somebody's life would be motivated by that felt cheesy and like naive, you know, like not in this dog eat dog environment. No way. It's actually the most powerful. One hundred percent. Yeah, I never worked from that place. I never 100%. used that well, and I didn't know that well was full either. Uh, and then you turn to that well, and that well is full, and the work is better, and it's almost like a part of you dies a little bit. It's like yeah. when we talk. You you learn to to move a different way. But if you'd have told me that when we were on Fury, I'd have told you, kick rocks, bro. What the fuck <laughs> right. are you talking about? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. no way. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that was what you were trying to tell me. You know, maybe, and maybe I just wasn't open to the message. Yeah. I remember Top, I remember Brad turning to me one time in a scene, and this is Brad, right? The fuck am I to a Brad? Mm -hmm. Brad, 
no matter what you look at, you know, there's no way you can write the man off as a craftsman, as a fucking Adonis, as a father, as an all-around G. The dude is thorough. Um, and I remember being on set with him and him turning to me after a scene and saying, man, what do I do? Mm. And my fucking ass got lost. I was intoxicated. Brad Pitt just asked me what to do. I didn't even hear what the question was. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't, my response wasn't even, it didn't come from no honest place. All I heard was, you're amazing. Yeah. Wow. I didn't see the genius of his humility. Wow. I didn't see the beauty in his wow. love. Wow. I didn't see it. I didn't see this selfless act. He was actually bigging me up yep. and using his take to do it. Yep. He knew I was next. He knew they were going to turn this camera around and I was going to have to go after him because no matter how you structure it, when you're the star of a movie, you go first, usually. And he was going first and he used his last take. He threw it away just so he could big me up because he knew the camera was turning around and all I heard was, you're fucking amazing, dog. Give me advice. And that fucked me up for a while. I just wasn't ready to hear or see what he was actually doing, which was coming from this place of humility and love and like self he was like self um i don't know what the word is it's not emoliating but he he, he kind of like he leveled himself to like big me up and i had never moved like that or knew anything about that in life or in craft yeah but i've been around dudes who did it i just couldn't see it you know mm -hmm. I, I looked up to like the the rah-rah gorillas i was around you know part of me really appreciated working with you because i thought here's another rah-rah gorilla i'm around but yours has, you, you have an adaptation that I didn't actually couldn't see at the time, you know? Because you loved us, all of us. You know, I remember me and Pena were about to get in a fist fight yeah. in London. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and you showed up for us. And that fight went away. And you didn't have to do that, you know? And, and it's not always like tough guy either. I remember like sitting in the grass with you and you being like, hey, let's run these scenes. Uh, and us like sitting in the grass like on some dead poet society shit mm -hmm. you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. sitting in the grass just like reading to each other with apples and shit, <laughs> <laughs> apples and shit. but yeah I, I, um, I some of the stuff I now I see now was around me already yeah. and I just wasn't open to it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, even the things like Hardy was always very brotherly with, with me very love he's another dude who in the midst of all this shit I had to make amends to him I had to make amends to him because, um, you know, I mouthed, I, I did a press tour where I mouthed off about how me and him got in a fist fight and da 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 and like on my rah rah, let me define myself by using this other man who's respected in the world and let me minimize him to big myself up kind of shit. Like, and I had to make amends to him. He was on my list. And, uh, and when I hit him up, you know, the response also because he's got principles in his life, you know, the, the response wasn't even a conversation. It was not even a... It was... Um, I love you. You don't owe me no amends, you know? But thanks. Sometimes it is just that simple. But the fact that I'm I'm showing up for it and I'm, I'm taking stock in my life and I'm... I'm defining that vague tension that existed between me and other people is how I got to move so that I don't have this monologue in my head that tells me I'm a piece of shit. In order to get rid of that monologue, I gotta show up and I gotta clean it up. That's really what I'm doing now. So you ask me if I think about acting much, I got bigger fish to fry right now. Mm -hmm. That's where mm -hmm. I'm at. 
I, I know not much. I know I love you. I know I'm blessed today. I know I got work to do, and I know that it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. I like watching you from afar.